Burger Brothers, Crossbows and Catapults, and Chris Darby from the Staying In Podcast. This is We're Not Wizards. first of all for coming on i'm an absolute pleasure I, I love what you've done with the place it's really nice <laughs> um pete's pete wax lyrical about what you've done with the room and yeah, yeah the rug it really ties the room together i kind of um i've also got the well i don't know if you've had a look a closer look at the the painting on the wall is actually something i've done myself yes it is the um oh my it's it is the bridges it is the bridges over the river forth in um that's gorgeous Fife. well thank you very much i do try my best obviously the it's offset by the lovely little picture of um obi-wan kenobi here which i tell you what let's just you know let's just take this into the virtual the virtual world and i'm going to take a photograph of the setup just now we're going to add in a little extra 2 second feature which is going to be called what game is the mic on? <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a microphone. Do you like that? It's not oh actually. Way, I, it's not actually that big. It looks like the big baddie from Portal Two. <laughs> Your microphone. <laughs> What's the name? What's the name of the bat? Oh, this Glados? is Glados. You seem to be falling to your death. That kind of amuses me. That oh, kind of that. thing. She's absolutely fantastic. She appears in the um, the Lego. <laughs> Lego Dimensions, and there is an entire, um, for some reason, and I don't know why the guys at Lego thought, do you know it would be a really good idea if we take, um, if we go around looking for IP, so they got like, you know, Scooby-Doo, and they got like, um, and they got um, Adventure Time, so they got some kind of ones that kids kind of would look at and go, yeah, and then somebody went, oh no, do you know what would be good if we got the Portal 2 kind of... Um, IP as well. So one of the Lego games is you've actually got the level you can actually play as Shell and there's also a little kind of um, emotion cube as well and there's a little kind of laser turret, turret that you can build out of Lego and you use this in the game and you actually get a full kind of ha- um, a full kind of portal level and yeah and, and GLaDOS speaks to you and she is sarcastic and she is wonderful as well. That's incredible. Yeah. And um- I, I went for a period where my work was getting quite stressful and I just I went back to like my family home and I just said, Can I just take the Lego back with me? And the Lego in my parents' house is kinda of like a, a family heirloom. It's a mixture of my dad's bricks when he was a child, mine, my brothers. Um and yeah, I just had these boxes of Lego in my living room. And occasionally when I was like waiting for the kettle to boil or something, I would just add a brick to what it was I was building. I hadn't got any instructions or anything like that. And eventually this kind of monstrous tower grew. <laughs> and it was it became quite awkward when I had people around because 
I don't know if you've got Lego, but like, there's that kind of. I'll look at it this way. I have a four-year-old. I have. Um, uh, I, le- I have an eleven-year-old. I have eleven-year-old son as well, so I can play, you know, and thirteen-year-old daughter, and they have all. I had well, we had a quick discussion with my wife, who was trying to like consider kind of throwing stuff out. And she goes, oh, "I'm just going to put this, this Lego. You know, it's I'm just going to put out." And he's like, "Oh no, you don't throw out Lego." No. You just you just don't. So that you know, I am aware of yeah, there's justification and as I said, Lego dimensions as well. So you're building this monolith this monolith of stress. It yeah. sounds like. But unlike you who can play the card, you know, I have children. Yeah. You know. And also as well that it would be different if I bought like a set, like if I'd got like a Death Star hmm. or something along those lines. Clearly I you know, I put a lot it's a labour of love, you know, I followed instructions. This was just this random kind of Salvador Dali-esque sculpture and you know people would walk into the room and immediately they start to kind of psychoanalyze me you know going, as if this is kind of this strange structure what, 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 what's that what are, you, what are you doing there and, um, and I don't know whether it's some kind of metaphor I don't know but it's, it's, it was an interesting interesting experiment and then I used it to kind of as a, a means to kind of design sets for plays I was directing and stuff. So it kind of oh, dissipated kind of there, but I could feel. Um, so I could kind of... But there's something about that kind of ease in which one can kind of connect these blocks to each other. I think the guy who created Lego, he said that he wanted a toy that was robust, but a child could easily pull the bricks apart. Yes. Um, and stick them up their nose. <laughs> and then have them in the hallway in the middle of the night. And it's not a particularly big piece. It could be like a block, which is a four by one, which is sitting at a slightly awkward angle in the middle of the hall carpet, just waiting with anticipation for a bare foot through the midnight or the mid the midnight kind of stroll to the toilet. As you'll find as a as you get as an older gentleman, on occasion you might wake <laughs> up in the middle of the night and discover actually, I've not been drinking, but for apparently my bladder is. A little bit full, um, and then as barefoot will meet to four by one Lego brick, and my God, the world knows all about it. Absolutely, it's one thing that binds us all together as humanity, irrespective <laughs> th- of our differences. I've actually, be- I've seen anti-Lego shoes. I think I've actually seen Lego sell kind of anti-Lego slippers for parents. Are I'm they? Pretty are they, uh- sure that's a thing. Are they shoes that have got like the bottom of like a Lego board, so you can actually like build up your shoes as you're walking around? <laughs> so by the time you get to your front door, you're like wearing like platform boots. It's kind of like the Lego Movie, where you've got Lord Business at the beginning, where he's strolling oh. through, <laughs> and its legs just get bigger and bigger. Except you've got to do like the, you've got to do the uh, the impression as you can having to, as you can having to stoop, in. yeah, under the door, yeah. Bang. I think I better kind of introduce you, because otherwise this will be people going dropping in and going, "What is going on? They're talking about Lego, and there's no." I came in for board games. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's going on with that? So, just I mean, welcome to We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for this evening, and joining me tonight, alongside a kind of a cheeky um, coffee. I think I'm drinking tonight, is um, another member of the Staying In podcast. Yes, 
we are three quarters of the way through collecting the set. <laughs> so it gives me great pleasure to um, introduce the rather fantastic um, Mr. Chris Darby, the, the man who is digital striding through the podcast landscape. And that's going to be the title for the show. Now, I know why it's called that, and you will know why it's called that. So good evening, Mr. Darby, because everybody's kind of interrupted us mid-conversation, which I think is quite not rude, but we're kind of friendly, so we're inviting them in anyway. So how are you this evening, sir? Are you well? I'm I'm very well, thank you. The sun is shining. Good. Um, it is very warm here. Good. Um, I, I, I'm very well. I'm very well. I've got to the end of a... A long, a long bout of marking at the moment. We're in the thick of marking. I feel All quite right, good about okay. myself. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. How are you keeping? Thank you very much again for having me. Uh, it's lovely. Well, it's. Um, I think it was only. I really, it was only a matter of time, really. I mean, once we had um, Sam on, and Sam was like, "You yeah. got to get Chris on." And then once we have Peter on, and Peter says, "Well, you got to get Chris on, but you've also got to ask, ask him to tell you about the time that he did." Um, was it he did kind of jumping off a wall, a wall jump or something like that? I was, I was trying to think about this. It might have been because we all, the, the staying in crew, yeah. um, we all we all began, we all met at university. Apart from Sam, who I'd met a couple of years before university, I've known Sam, gosh, since about two thousand two, two thousand three, mm. and uh, I think we we all studied drama at university, and. Uh, um, I think it was just one of those drama games where we had to just, for whatever reason, run around a room. Um, I think Pete slightly exaggerates it. He makes it sound like I was some kind of Mirror's Edge, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> kind of just parkour genius. Completely just off my rocker on sugar or something like that. Kind of like everybody else walks through the door and you somersault and land like a Marvel Wait. character, three-pointing it through a window kind of thing. Well, Sam used to tell everyone that I used to wake up exactly how American Dad wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> just immediately just bolt, bolt upright Straight out of up, bed. Like, like yeah. almost like Nosferatu, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sitting up out of the grave. Oh. Just ping out of bed. Is it bright enough for Darby? Is he going to be <laughs> showing up? Yeah, I mean, oh gosh. But no, yeah. So I was, I, I was quite energetic. Yeah. Um, I am, a, I am a morning person. You a morning person, Richard? I have to be a morning person through choice. Well, not through choice, through kind of association with having children running about. And my son, my youngest, my four-year-old, is very much. You know, you say, "Oh, he's a little ray of sunshine," but he is yeah. the boy that will run through at quarter to six in the morning on a Sunday because he never runs through on a quarter to six on a Monday. And says hello, kind of thing. He's really, you know. So by association, you can't really turn round to a little cherubic four-year-old and go go away, kind of thing. So you've no. got to kind of be. Well, not anymore. Uh, anyway, not now. No, I kind of kind of. No. I think what we do is we say, right, we'll be through in five minutes if you just um, go and do anything apart from standing there grinning um, at me, please. But we've got him. He's kind of got a tablet. Which I don't know is a good thing or a bad thing as a parent in a digital age. What, an, an electronic one? Yeah. And it's kind of like one of these things where we've kind of got him past the point where he wants it all the time. He's quite happy to. Um, I mean, we, we were just back from Spain, which is going to oh, make lovely. the. Well, Mallorca, which I, I kind of always thought oh, I'm never going to go on one of those 
package holidays because I didn't know what it was like and is it going to be like the 1980s and it was fantastic. I had a really, really good time. The weather was fantastic. I spent a lot of time in the pool. I got a massive bruise by trying archery. I have no idea. The, for some reason... We used, to, we used to do the right end. <laughs> do you know what it was? My arm, when I um, overextend it, kind of tilts... My elbow tilts 90 degrees kind of like the wrong way. So the bowstring wrapped itself against the, the kind of the inside of my elbow. And I ended up... I'm just drawing out the kind of geometry of your arm there, Richard. It <laughs> kind of tilts at 90 degrees at outwards. The wrong, at the wrong... I can... Right, okay, look, look, look. Right, okay, I don't know if this needs a... Basically, you know if you extend your arm out kind of like yeah. 90 degrees from your from your body... Yeah, and naturally, the kind of the flow, <laughs> the flow of your I'm a, elbow. I'm actually doing it now. Yeah, right. The flow yeah. of your elbow. If you look down your arm, yeah, to the basically your veins should yeah. be facing the front. Yeah, yeah. What happens is when I overextend my arm, my veins end up facing up the way. It's almost like my elbow decides it's got to turn around an extra. Kind of ninety so degrees. You, so you kind of so, inadvertently pop and lock. Yeah, basically, and then what happens? It it means I can then obviously show off the guns because, like I said, it's much easier for me to bring up the arm and go. Do you want tickets? Yeah. But what it means is when you come to an archery situation. Yeah. When you're pulling, <laughs> which often happens to you. I, <laughs> it, I mean, it's Scotland. You know, sometimes man's got to hunt. Um, yeah. When you pull back the bow and release. Unfortunately, yep. I was ready the first couple of times and it pinged a bit and I went, hmm, this isn't right. But the third time, I really let rip and this thing kind of ripped all the way down my arm. And, um, yeah. And I ended up with a bruise, which was about three or four inches long. But a great anecdote for the podcast. It's not. I I did I I used to I used to work for a, with one of my old jobs. Right, I used to okay. work as a P, I used to work as a PE teacher in a school. Oh my goodness! And for two years, it was a summer school with kids all over the world would come yeah. to this school I would work at. And basically, my job learnt involved me learning the rules for sports. About half an hour, I had to teach it. So <laughs> I I was a volleyball coach, basketball oh coach, goodness. badminton coach, all these same things. I wasn't a coach for archery, thankfully. Were you a professional but, blagger? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was an extraordinary place to work. And but they they came and did a promotional video for the school, and they wanted some students, but they didn't have any at hand. So I had to basically I looked a little younger back then, so I had to pretend to be one of the students there. And they wanted a shot of me doing the archery. Oh my goodness! And I'm not that good at archery. I'm all right, <laughs> but um, it was one of those golden moments where the camera was rolling. And I, I kind of go to kind of, you know, Legolas here to put your right hand, you, you have to jab your, your hand, your, 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 Cause you're your like, how bone. difficult can this be? You're seeing archery exactly. as a sport in the Olympics and you're like, yeah, that's bloody so easy. I, so I was channeling Legolas, Hawkeye, you know, yeah. Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> and I got a bullseye straight away and really? they got it on camera. Oh and you can find goodness. it on YouTube really? somewhere. I think you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. find this. You have to find this so we can put it, it in the show notes. <laughs> I will do definitely. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those golden moments, really. Um, but um, yeah, like one of those freak kind of chance kind of situations. Um, 
it was a great job. It was a great job. Um, but um, it was, I had to, oh God, it was terrible. Like I, we, we, we take, do trips to like any city in England that had a cathedral mm. in it. We'd take the kids to it. And well, all, all cities have cathedrals in it. I don't know what's going on about there. Um, but, um, <laughs> it's, just, it's a defining, isn't it like a defining yeah, thing? For it's kind of the defining thing, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, but it was terrible. Like I'd, I'd, I'd go on Wikipedia because I'd have to be given them like a tour around the city. And I'd go, I have to go on Wikipedia to kind of learn all the facts about this place. Mm. Um, or if we were lucky, we'd get there and we'd find another walking group and we'd secretly piggyback on theirs. And I would just repeat what they'd said to the kids. Um, <laughs> but they got to the point where the kids weren't interested. So we just start kind of making stuff up about oh, what was going on. Like, oh, yeah, we were in Oxford. Go, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Bob was educated there. Like, oh, really? Yeah, pointing to one of the colleges in Oxford. Or um, there was one teacher we had there. Who, oh, dear. His kids were really obedient. Like, they would stick with him constantly. They wouldn't just wander off and try it on. We're like, why? How is, how is that possible? And basically, he told them, these kids that had travelled abroad, you know, some of them from the ages of like nine up until 18, he told them that the, the British, the English squirrel was the most vicious creature. <laughs> and if you look at it the wrong way, it will just like tear your tear your face, <laughs> and these kids were just oh, petrified. I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm getting this kind of Monty Python and the Holy Grail kind of scenario. Yeah, that's not ordinary, <laughs> rather. Um, I don't know if it's very good pedagogy, but it really works. Uh, really works. Just imagine that if it, even if like one came running towards you, if the guy's like, "What are you having for snacks, Dan?" Well, you know. Um, Dad said I need to be healthy, so he got me a bag of monkey nuts. <laughs> or like it, maybe walking. it was like the great the, the great British Bake Off squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Just running towards you as you've like opening up these monkey nuts, this thing screaming at you, wanting to get some of your some of your healthy snack. <laughs> Have you ever had that? We're like, oh gosh, I remember um, when I was a kid, I remember being sat on a beach. And this is, I mean, this is we'll get to the ball games in a bit. But oh, I, was having a, I was having a jam sandwich as a baby and a seagull came down and took it out of my hands. And I, I've kind of felt there's this kind of, like, there's this kind of debt that needs to be settled. I don't know how I'm going to settle it someday. But I just feel it there, this kind of I think, Counter Monte um, Cristo-esque kind of revenge plot that I, one day I need to act on. Is there a possibility, there's two ways you can do this. You could go take a trip up to Scotland and you could go to a place called Anstruther, which apparently has the best fish and chips in the whole of the UK, because the, the fish and chip shop keeps telling everybody that that's the case. And they're very, very nice, which is good. But generally what you do have is you've obviously got the the tourists who are um, very, very clean to the point of actually cleaning the, cleaning the bench they were actually sitting on before they get on their motorcycle and head up towards the highlands and then obviously you've got the rest of us scottish people that as soon as we're halfway finished we'll just toss the thing to one side and that obviously attracts a lot of seagulls <laughs> in a dance as old as time <laughs> could it be the situation that you could lay a trap for these things and wait until a seagull has a mouthful of chips run over to that seagull yeah. grab it and just grab that handful of chips out of his beak and go aha and just you know, with that, or I, or I could shoot the chips out of his mouth with my bow and arrow skills, 
Um, I kind of feel actually you, you made me realise actually thinking speaking I'm assuming this is a seaside town you're talking about in Scotland yes, yeah. forgive my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my ignorance yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Scottish geography yeah. it's a beautiful country yeah. and I need to get back there but um, I um, I, I went to uni in a, in a seaside town Aberystwyth oh yeah yeah yeah. and um, I think I kind of may have got my own back because one of the Chinese restaurants there got shut down because they were serving up seagull so no maybe I, really? I must have part of yeah yeah uh, so yeah. Do you reckon you um do you reckon you ate potentially seagull? I must have done, really. Does it taste like chicken? <laughs> Pretty much everything does. That's partly. I mean I've eaten some chicken that doesn't taste like chicken, so I I kinda of don't know anymore. I know, it's just you know, I mean, is there various I don't know. Have you, have you ever had crocodile? That's really weird. I've apparently I've heard it's like salty chicken. It's a bit like it's a bit like ch- uh, chicken and fish. It's kind of got it. It's got a strange kind of texture to it. Very pleasant though. Mm. I'll happily have it again. Yeah. I mean, it's not often farmed around here though in Liverpool, so we don't really. <laughs> there's no like crocodile scarce that not, I can just well, look, sample. I can't do a liver puddly. I could probably try a liver puddly in accent. You go, oh look, there's a croc going down the mazy. <laughs> The the it's the, the best word actually ironically to get into the scarce accent is chicken. Chicken, chicken, I want some fried chicken. Um, it's gorgeous because you've kind of got and I, I I've lived here for about four years nearly and they are the most friendliest people and it's just a gorgeous place to live. So welcoming and friendly, and I I, I really like the accent. I mean I can't talk. I come from Birmingham originally, and I see you've worked I, hard to try and. Slightly. <laughs> no, it's never been conscious. It's just like sometimes it comes out if I'm talking to my nan. Yeah. I go, well, Brummy. I've got some students that are from Birmingham. And when I'm talking to them, they'll suddenly go, oh, you sound really Brummy then. <laughs> um, it kind of creeps out. <laughs> I've never consciously tried to mask my accent. No. Um, but it's, it, I, I kind of, yeah, I think it's, it, accents are really funny things. I just love the idea that you can kind of walk from Land's End all the way up to John O'Groats and the accents just, gradually kind of organically kind of just change morph into each other and it's not like i mean it's not like i mean you're talking america and you're talking about distances of hundreds of miles before accents really really change and then you come across to like the uk which is what 600 miles long Mm. and you've got so many you've got a massive change in accent between aberdeen and fife and that's like what a hundred mile difference it's such yeah. a massive, such a massive, massive difference. There was a Mersey, there was a guy from Liverpool on the holiday, and he was <clears throat> kind of like really stocky boy, friendly as you come. Kind of went walked about wearing the vest, like cheery, cheery chappy. Everything he said just sounded like he was having the best time of his life. And then we also got talk. I got talking because I liked. I just you know I have no issue just going up to people and just chit chat time of day I hate this kind of I hate seeing people when you've got like maybe 50 100 people around the pool around the pool and I recognize some people are there for peace and quiet but you're bringing your kids so if you're expecting to get peace and quiet what are you doing but you have idle chit chat with some people and I was speaking to a couple from Birmingham just asking them how their holiday going and they said it was fantastic. They'd saved up for a long time and it was one of the best holidays that they'd had and they were so glad they'd come along. But because they'd done it in a Birmingham accent, it kind of came across like it was the saddest thing that had ever happened to them. <laughs> ah, it's all right. It's yeah, just it's all right. It was you know, fantastic. You've been saving up for years. 
still don't know what do you think, Doreen? Yeah, we've been saving up for years. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my goodness. And I felt sorry for them, but they were having a fantastic time. Liverpool boy boy was just a cheapy, ch- cheeky chappy. He was the guy that wasn't afraid to just walk up to the locals and go, all right, man, what about this? Here, can you go here? Can you get us some chips? <laughs> kind of thing. He was just like, he was brilliant. He was friendly to everybody. Everybody on the bus. He was the type of guy he would be. Do you remember planes, trains and automobiles? When yes. John Candy is on the bus. Yep. And Steve Martin sings a song. <laughs> and then yeah, John, yeah, Card- yeah. John Candy kind of pipes in by singing the Flintstones. And everybody kind of pipes up. He'd be that type of guy that would be leading the chorus if the bus yeah. got stuck anywhere, so that was that was kind of like that, you know. So yeah, it was kind of yeah, it was fine, it was fine. But no, it was in a good. Survival, in a survival horror situation, he'd be the first to go. Unfortunately, yeah, and he yeah, would but he would go down thing. and kind of like a, you know, you're not taking me brains, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> boom. It's only it's only a matter of time before the world releases Scarces versus Zombies. I mean, we've had, what was it, Cockneys versus Zombies, which I never saw. (laughs) There's probably probably going to be a board game about it. Oh, my gosh. That'll be the next zombie side thing. Yeah, but aren't zombies done? I mean, haven't we we had, haven't we Mm. kind of got to saturation point with zombie games, board games? How far do you There's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. There's a lot of them. We have actually joked on, because we had David Wellington, who actually writes... He wrote Monster Island, which was a book about zombies, and it was a, a book about a couple of intelligent zombies that, because of the way they had died, they had basically preserved their brain function. So they were like woke up, they had all of the undead skills, but at the same time, they were able to think and stuff like that. Oh and I kind of made the comment that, you know, if you kind of lined up the number of board games in a street during a zombie apocalypse, there would be more board games in the street about the zombie apocalypse than there would be actual zombies kind of thing. There would be so... Cause are, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think you can only change it. Oh, and that's the um, that's the zombie police coming for me. Um, but Very slowly. <laughs> I've got time. I've probably got about 45 minutes before they actually come ramming through the window. So It's interesting... Oh, sorry. It's interesting because I'm... Um, I've I've actually done research. I've published on zombies myself, but um, kind of looking at it in relation to games, all right, okay. but not board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of uh, gamification and augmented reality apps. There's a great fitness app. I don't know if you've heard of it called Zombies Run. Yes. Um, well, I um I wrote an article on it. Oh gosh, it's a few years old. It's like the most popular thing I've ever published, and like it's not really my massive research interest, but it's the one that. I think it's because it's just got zombies in the title. People just come across it. That's why it's done so well. But it's, I, I basically interviewed the creators of the game. And uh, I asked them where the kind of the game came from. Hmm. And uh, one, the writer for the game, fantastic writer called Naomi Alderman, she said that she joined like a running group. And I believe it was a running group for people that running is not their, usually their thing. And they just wanted to kind of join a group of like-minded people who... <laughs> have to find it difficult to kind of um, develop the kind of efforts to get off the couch and yeah, go outside and yeah. run because running hurts, you know, why would we, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, and she, she was sat there with a group of people, she stood there with a group of people and the kind of trainer said, so why are you guys here? And one person said, oh, I want to get fit. The other one's like, oh, I want to lose weight. And then one person piped up and said, I want to outrun the zombie hordes. And this became a kind of a running joke with them as they were running. And that kind of 
planted a seed for her of this idea of what if we could combine the two for a game and um she um developed this game and uh yeah it's this fantastic app which is a an app you have on your phone you can get i think you can get stuck at the free version of it you where basically can yeah um basically it is it is structured like an actual run so it's like interval training you know peaks and troughs of sprinting and stamina building but it's got this narrative behind it and you get to a point because i run and i don't listen to music i listen to podcasts when i run such as yourself um and I I don't need a beat to get me running. What I need is to be swept up with a conversation. And what Zombies Run does very well is it gives you a narrative to care about. And there'll be but there'll be moments in it because it's hooked up to your phone and GPS. It'll say, okay, there's a zombie. It's about 100 meters behind you, and it's closing fast. And you have to pick up your pace. And it will tell you <laughs> how far it is behind you. So if you slow, it will get you. Oh my goodness! And it's a, it's a unique experience. And yeah, I basically uh, wrote this article about interviewing the developers and my own experience of running around the village where I grew up when I went to stay there over Christmas and all the mad things the game makes you do because you haven't got time to think rationally because you're too busy just trying to um, surmount the effort to kind of run. So you do random things like there was one point where I saw someone in the distance and instinctively I ducked behind a gravestone and like, I hadn't even thought about it, you know, and straight away you just get swept up in the narrative and you forget you're exercising. Um, but um, but also in the article, I talk about why where um, zombies come from, and for many people, it, it's because of um, the war on terror in particular mm. that has kind of led to this kind of trickling in of zombie narratives, the kind of end of the world kind of scenarios in which one has to kind of confront a, a shadow of themselves from a previous era, really. But in board games, oh, like oh, there's okay. there's this sense. There's a sense that there's this kind of power that you can kind of, you have that ability to flick them off the table. You can literally just leave them and flick a zombie off the table. But there's that 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 party that has to follow the rules and chooses not to do that and says, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. All th- all good things come to an end. Um, I've not played Dead of Winter, but there's that kind of scenario where that the kind of the hordes are kind of, yeah, uh, or. Uh, standing around and you have to make those kind of difficult choices but i've i mean um, i've had discussions with um john gilmore about dead of winter um because he's been on the show and yeah one of the things that we discussed kind of off camera was the off camera like we're doing like some kind of tv interview um <clears throat> it was a strong and stable podcast um no but he <laughs> he basically um you know, I said to him, well, you know, there's people developing kind of scenarios where you're not, they're taking the zombies out of things and they're putting wolves in instead. Because the thing about Dead of Winter is it's not necessarily about the terror and the fear of the zombie population. It's the terror and the fear of knowing that you have to go out there, get survival, get stuff to survive, and then at the end of it, you potentially have somebody that is going to turn around and say, well, I've not put in enough food, therefore you fail the task. They're kind of actively going against you kind of thing. And it's a hard enough game as it is, but it's worth, you know, it's worth playing if even if you're a bit tired of the kind of the zombie genre. Yeah. I'm st- I think things like, um, things like Zombicide have got a good thing going because what they're looking at doing now is they're basically, it's almost like um, they've got the building blocks. They're kind of like Minecraft with skins. 
you've got the building blocks there, and you've got some really, really good base games. And what they've done with the various versions of them, um, I think, is like Black Flag. Is it Black Plague? Black Flag? There's there's ones ba- based in hospitals. There's one built. There's got different kind of um, themes. Um, they've managed to kind of do a lot of reskinning, make some changes to the rules, and they're basically allowed to throw out kind of like whole different piles of kind of genres for the zombie thing, kind of going straight on. Dead of Winter is, I don't know if you've not played it. I think it would be a fan fantastic game that um it can be very thematic so if you guys got together because i know that you um when you were when you did your role playing stuff um yeah that kind of thing there's a lot of kind of acting you can get into you can really get into the characters some some really kind of good flavor kind of text so that's kind of that's kind of cool so that's worthwhile you know picking it up I've seen a few playthroughs of it, and I am intrigued by it because Sam and I are currently looking for our next big, like, long-term game. Mm. Um, we've just finished Pandemic Legacy season one. Right? How do you get on with that? Because I've been following on and off. Um, I guess we should. Well, you know, we should. Um, Sam. Sam is also a member of the Staying In podcast. So, and and you've been talking on and off about Pandemic Legacy for was it about maybe. Is it four, two, two, 14 months? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. We started it, I think we started it the day before my 30th birthday. Right. Um, I'm, like, I'm 32 this year. Wow. So, it, yeah, so we started it <laughs> quite a while ago. It's been a bit of a labour of love. Initially, we started it off as a foursome, but then it just became quite difficult for uh, the four players to kind of get together. So it just became both Sam and I, really. And... It's not often that we're able to get together just the two of us. I mean, he doesn't live that far away, but just our kind of shift. Yeah, it's just one of these things, things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing about a legacy game. And the thing is, I'm I'm, I'm a very patient gamer. I, I and same with like box sets and things and series. I I like my content kind of meted out to me. Um, so it's it and what it's quite good is I've heard other people's experiences of Pandemic Legacy. So Pandemic Legacy, I imagine your body of listeners will know who it is, what it is, but yeah. it's basically. It's 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 a it's a a game of a, a pandemic on steroids, which is basically you have to cure the world of diseases. But it's a legacy version of the game. So basically, every time you play the game, the game remembers what you did last. Um, you're playing a year in the life of the planet Earth, trying to fight off infections, making choices um, that will will affect other choices later on and outcomes and things. And every person's game of the world is completely different. And it's kind of a one-play kind of scenario. You've got a maximum, I think, of about... Well, you get two attempts at each month, so roughly, I think, 24 plays. Um, So we've got our money's worth for it completely. Um, But we did very well. We did the the last two months in one go. Um, Yeah, fantastic. It is is like a a blockbuster kind of disaster film in a box. We're kind of late to the party. I think the kind of the conversation about season one has kind of been and gone really people have played it and everyone's now hyped up for season two which is supposed to be yeah. out i think in autumn this year yeah 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 um but it's it's one of the kind there had previously been risk legacy before that mm. that kind of invented the whole legacy thing that's actually quite old now Risk legacy and then one of the designers for pandemic legacy he created seafall which kind of got mixed reviews yeah i heard that i mean um i think um it was one of these games that i think Everybody, when Pandemic Legacy came out, everyone went, right, that's that's it. You know, this is it. Legacy games 
straightforward. And I don't know what happened with Seafall if I heard that there was a lot of ideas they wanted to include in the game, but then they decided to ship out the game I think it could have done with maybe an extra half hour in the oven. I think there was a lot of additional ideas they wanted to get to the table and it ended up being a bit kind of okay. So it was a kind yeah. of a it was a six and it was a good six out of ten type yeah, of game. I think right, that's yeah. what people would have would have said. And it was really weird because I think everybody I think Pandemic Legacy came out, but I've not heard a massive number of other legacy games that have come out which people everybody's going daft about the legacy games. If people you mention you play legacy game and people will mention Risk or they'll mention Pandemic. The only other one that I've seen which is semi kind of legacy is Mechs and Minions. But again Ah uh, yes. <clears throat> you know, I've heard people talk about that. I've not heard people actually um talk about it. You've got Which, some baby ones out there, like um, there's a card game that I, uh, I believe I'm going to butcher the name of it. It's called The Ravens of Free Sarashi. Forgive, right, my, forgive okay. my pronunciations, but Osprey Games, I think, produced oh, Sam's okay. got this. And it's a card game. I think there's a legacy component to it, but it's such a, a quite a difficult card game. I've only played it once where basically you it's an asymmetrical two-player card game where you're having to interpret the dreams of the other player and there is a legacy component to that but it's kind of very tight in the box i think it's just kind of a it's not it's like a, i think it's a legacy up to like three plays you kind of unlock bits more of the story but it's that's that's a kind of a micro legacy so you're kind of getting legacy kind of migrating into those kind of car games But there's a legacy game I'm really excited about that nobody's talking about. It was rumoured in December last year. Um, have you heard of Burgle Brothers, Richard? I have heard of Burgle Brothers because I've oh, heard of the word. box that it comes in is apparently <laughs> the shape of a tower. Yeah, and it's it also... a tower like, heist. I watched um, playthroughs and unboxings of it. So when I actually bought the game, which you can only order from America because it's an independent designer, uh, Tim Fowers. And... Um, he, it's so independent that when I emailed asking for an update of my order, you know, he he emailed him me myself <laughs> himself. Um, um, but because basically it is like Tetris putting all the pieces back. I've got it down to an art form now. But it's a great game, honestly. It's one of my favourites. Like um, my partner, who I play games with, it's her favourite game. Um, she, I, I actually keep it in her flat because um, there'll be so, there'll be sometimes she'll be like, oh, let's just play. I just really want to play it. And basically. You know, like Forbidden Desert or Forbidden Island, another Matt Leacock game where you've kind of got that grid of tiles. You kind of build the get the board up, and you've got the tiles face down. So it's a random kind of level yeah, you've built. Yeah, yeah. Well, picture three sets of those, and um, there are bits. <laughs> I'm looking at something on Etsy, which I got yeah, just on a quick search. Oh, the tower, which is Have just a tower, tower, and it's like yeah, that's that's an optional extra. I've not. I, I, <clears> I keep umming and ahhing about buying that, but well, basically, it's imagine fifty pounds. Yeah, that's the umming and ahhing. Um, and so basically, imagine you've got this grid. I think it's about five by four, or four by four or five by five of these little small squares face down. And, and in between some of them, you've got these like wooden bits, wooden sticks, which represent walls. Because you're basically looking at a floor plan, a floor plan of three floors. Oh my goodness. And you, you're, the aim of the game is you are a, a team of, of um, high-profile thieves. Each one of you have got your own skills. You, you come in from the ground floor. You have to sneak around the floor 
find the safe, crack it, then find the stairs to take you up to the next floor until eventually you work your way up to the roof and escape. And it's a cooperative game, so you're working together as a team, Mm. but on each floor is a security guard, and there are cards which determine where they are and where they're going to. And they have, on each floor, there is a, a number of moves that they can do to move in that direction. And it obviously increases with each floor you get up to increase the difficulty. So you know where they're heading to, but you don't know where they're going to go to next once they've got there until you flip the card over. And you have to make sure you're not seen. So it's kind of Metal Gear Solid. You're kind of having to sneak around them whilst flipping (laughs) over tiles, not knowing what rooms you're going to go into, whether it will be um, something that's going to set off an alarm. It's a laser trap. Okay, that's going to use two two actions to get there. Oh, it's a motion sensor. I have to stop here and then I go here because if I move through that, I will trigger an alarm. And the security guard will not carry on where they're going. They will come to the alarm to see what's going on. Um, and then you'll open the safe and you're like, oh, what's in here? Oh, great. I got a, a stethoscope that will help me crack the safe on the next floor. But I've also got a chihuahua that will happily just run off from me <laughs> and, and I have to go and get it. Uh, so it's oh, uh, Sam's, Sam's, Sam's slogan for it is you don't know what you're robbing until you're robbing it. It is one of my favourite games. I, I literally just went into Google and I wanted I wanted a heist board game. I was like, is there such a thing as a heist board game? Yeah. Be- um, the closest I got to, there was an old Cluedo game, which is a really good hidden movement game, I think, from the 80s, which is quite rare now, tr- quite tricky to track down. Um, that was the, the kind of closest, but this popped up. It just delivers. But um, I've played so many games of it. They've actually created an, an app online where it will generate the floors for you as well, so you can generate different wall configurations. It's absolutely fantastic. There's tons of replayability, but there's a rumour going around, and he, he, he actually confirmed it on Twitter in December last year, he's making a legacy version of it. <gasps> and I literally have no idea what it's going to be like. How is, um, like, how are you going to do that? Is that going to be like these, this is going to be stickers on the board, and you're going to have a security camera that you've triggered that is now active, just, or... I have literally no idea, because bearing in mind, I imagine it could be something along the lines of um, kind of like what um, Memoir 44 did, where you had the kind of campaign book, and if you wanted to, you could kind of stitch all together all the different missions into one larger campaign. Yeah. I imagine it might be something like that. I'd hate, I'd hate to, because it's about, it was about, gosh, it was about 30 quid to buy it, and I can't remember what the postage and packaging was. I'm just I'm so I, I hate... checking what the postage oh, and packaging honestly, is. Oh, honestly, it is fantastic. Oh. Honestly. I am um, like you can play it with two players. It's two to four players. Or you can play it by yourself if you want to. You can play it solitaire if you want to. Um, it's absolutely fantastic, and it and it's it's kind of like the next level up from like Forbidden Desert, and it's just and you literally don't know what you can either choose. It's it's got great little mechanics in it. So for example, say if I'm on the third floor, mm. now one of the actions is I can choose to use up an action to flip over the next tile and see what the room it is I'm going into, mm. or I can say, okay, I don't care. I'm going to use an action to just flip and run into that room and just take what's there. And there's one tile, there's two tiles randomly there where you'll flip it open and it basically is it's like um um a kind of foyer area and you fall through the floor. So you'll you'll just fall through to the floor below. A bit like betrayal. Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. Uh, betrayal has uh, nausea hill, or there'll be another one which is a secret door which will allow you to go through walls if it's next to a wall, or there'll be a service duct, and if you find the other service duct in the building, you can use it like John McClane to kind of use that to connect. <laughs> do you get um, Do you get a dirty vest? Oh uh, well, you don't get a dirty vest, but you get the acrobat, which is one of the characters, and and, cool. and bear in mind all these characters, you can flip them over to play the advanced role, which I've not done yet. And so there's tons of stuff I've not even done with this game yet, and it is my most played game. Um, and it's one of those games that not many people I know actually own it. 
I don't know anyone, any of my friends who own this game. It's one of those games that all people I know who love it, they have it, they love it to pieces. But it's not one of those games you will find on um, people's shelves, really, because yeah. it is. It, it's it, and it's in the, and it's going to be one of those ones. I think once it gets legacy status, legacy, it will probably get to kind of cult status. Because um, I, I, I think out of all the games he's done, this is the direct, the artist. I'm um, sorry, the designer who did um, Paperback. Yeah. Um, He's got hardback that's out as well. It's got fugitive um, as well, or something like that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, fug- same art styles. So the art styles is kind of um, Hanna Barbera kind of. Um, 60s yeah, kind sing- of art it's style. kind of single colours on the characters and stuff like that. It does look really, really, really it's nice. It's gorgeous. And, uh, are you You've getting got these wooden pieces as well? Are you getting your revenge on what I did to um, to Peter? Because I spent the entire podcast basically saying, Peter, you got to buy this. Peter, you've got to put that, and I think he ended up with a wish list. Oh gosh, Peter's terrible. Like we had this conversation today because um, Peter, who's a colleague on my show, um, who I love like a brother, um, um, but he is one of the smartest idiots I've ever met. He he does he he's obsessed with everything. He's, like there's nothing there's nothing that he kind of takes lightly to. He's either completely obsessed with it, yeah. Or no he doesn't have an interest at all, Peter. and it's it's kind of frustrating because he kind of sucks you into it, this kind of interest. So he's convinced me to play Star Realms. I am now hooked on Star Realms. Did which, he? This card game. I've bought the card game. I've not You've played it. I've had it for a week. I've got the card game. I've got. I just this morning I bought the multiplayer version of it. Oh, sorry, the online campaign stuff. So I am Star Realms up, and I haven't got the heart to tell him this because I know he'll just want to play me constantly. Um, but he's just he's just obsessed with these kind of things, and 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 I hate the fact that I'm I'm equally obsessed by it as well. And, and this kind of game transfer where you start to dream these kind of games, and like uh, God, he's talking about X wings and all this jazz, and, and I've been around to his house. His house is crammed. My fault. That was completely my. I fault, know, but you know, but be fair. That epic X wing game you came up with sounds incredible. I mean, I mean, even I, who has a kind of. I, I like Star Wars. I don't love it. I was, uh, I was kind of, it came, kind of came before um, that kind of stuff hit me. I was more of a Lord of the Rings person. Lord of the Rings was my thing. Oh, okay. Um, um, oh, and incidentally, if you want to play a good um, two-player game that is very hard to get a hold of, um, a Lord of the Rings Confrontation I can recommend. Really? Um, by Reiner Knizia. It's a two-player game. It's very hard to get a hold of. I wanted to buy a copy of it for my brother for his birthday, but oh my gosh, they sell like hotcakes online secondhand. Because I've got the deluxe version. Um, my dear friend uh, Daniel bought it for me. Who, by the way, um, um, he says he's sorry he can't be on the show. Um, he's washing his hair. But Dan does say he's a he's a big fan of the show, and he thinks that he really thinks that um, Colin's doing a terrific job. <laughs> Um, that's what he says. But Dan bought me this game on a whim because uh, a mutual dear. friend of ours, uh, Duncan from Osprey. Oh yeah, Duncan Malloy, um, who's amazing. yeah, Duncan Malloy. He's oh, he's fantastic, lovely chap. Um, one of the people who got me into board games, Duncan, who I met on Dan Stagdo. Yeah. Um, he um, recommended it to Dan, and Dan bought it for me. And basically, it's a two-player game um, where, funny enough, the board is kind of twisted, so you have the corner facing you. One person's got Mordor, the other's got the Shire, and you've got these characters that each have certain abilities, and they're on these kind of raised kind of um, stance, and they're facing you, and the enemy can't see which characters in which areas. Um, so it's kind of a bit like um, this kind of chess, but you don't know who the person is until you enter their area and they turn around, and they can see who you are, and you can see who they are, and then it's a case of playing cards, kind of uh, Fury of Dracula style, to kind of see 
um, you know, whether you've beaten them or not. Mm. And it's this great yeah. kind of tactical game in a box, but it's so beautifully thematic. Little things like if uh, Gandalf gets killed, he automatically he, uh, he you can play a card and bring him back, but he spawns in um, is he white? Mer- uh, in Fangorn. All oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah, so it's these it's lovely little things um, um, thematically that are in there. But that's a great little two player game by uh, Rainer Knizia. He's one of those designers that's kind of pretty solid um, in terms of the games he makes. Um, Oh gosh, he did. I played a game of his the other day at a Game Boy, um, a board game cafe. Um, Battle Line, have you ever played that? I've heard of it, yeah. I've not. It's an oldie. I, it, it, actually, it's not that old, actually. It looks a lot older than it actually is. The art style is really nothing to write home about. Um, and I'm quite a, and I don't know if it's because I teach in the arts, but I'm, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to gaming art. Um, like, it could be the best game in the world mechanically, but the art style, if it's not very interesting, it's going to, really put it off put me off it and it's it's awful i know because i'm judging a book by its cover but um like i like games to have this kind of wonderful kind of visual acuity to them and i know that particularly you know that materials are expensive and some concessions well, have to be art, made, yeah, but... art itself seems to be you know i think it's one of these things that's in the board game community that people are actively kind of supporting creators which is a good thing i think yeah definitely. board game guys are good at kind of Saying I need to have a budget for art, because uh, especially Kickstarter people. But yeah. I'm looking at it now; it's very, very kind of simplistic looking. But I'm very, very liking it. It is kind of like it is kind of like here is your history book about what a hoplite looks like, or what a hip a, a hippaspist looks like. Yeah, it's an odd one, really. Oh, it's yeah. I, I, I'm, you could, I, I don't know how tied in the theme is to the cards because basically it's kind of like several mini games of poker. Mm-hmm. You kind of play the game, and it's kind of got that um, Lost Cities kind of vibe in which you've kind of got this line in front of you with series of different sections, and you play your cards from each section. You kind of predict, counting the cards, predicting what the other player has, and whether you should play this card here, and certain sets. The certain sets, the tricks you can make, they're, they're not named after poker things like a royal flush. No. They're given like they're given like militaristic terms, yeah. um, which is quite nice. But again, I don't really know much about military history, so maybe the theme just doesn't work with me. But that was quite an interesting kind of two-player game. But it's the current obsession for two players in uh, my local board game cafe. So um, they, they they kind of highly recommended that. But it's that's the thing that Knitzi does very well. He has these kind of very kind of robust mechanics. And you can look, you can ha- you can put two Knitzy games side by side and looking at them, you think, oh, they just look so different. But it's when you get down to the kind of meat and bones of them that you start to kind of see that actually, gosh, yeah, there's this kind yeah. of trademark. Yeah. It's like, it's like this particular, um, um, engineers in kind of, or car manufacturers, you know, they put their little trademark on the engine. So, you know, it's there. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of see that in a Knitzy game. I mean, this guy made, um, you know, Battle Line, he made Lord of the Rings Confrontation, but he also did Ingenious, which is, you know, spilled as Yara's winner, um, which um, I actually have here as well, but I'm not a massive fan of abstract games, but a lot of my friends really like it, so they tend to borrow it off me quite a lot. Uh, Do you get to play um, a lot then? I mean, are you a regular, would you put yourself up there as a regular board gamer? Because yeah. on the Stay In podcast, you and, you know, obviously you and Sam talk about what we need to get get together. Yeah. And you go to, was it the Zigamat you go to? Oh, we go to the Ziggurat. We haven't been together for a while. Yeah. Our new kind of place is a fantastic board game cafe, literally down the road from where I live, okay. which is called Sugar and Dice. All right, okay. And um, 
we're going to get them on the show, I think, at some point, because they're, they're just two very, very interesting people, and they've created this lovely kind of atmosphere there, and they've got some fantastic games. But they're just equally passionate and plugged into the hobby, hobby and that becomes really infectious. We, we, I think we're still a bit in the honeymoon period of board games. Like We've been into it hard with the hobby about, gosh, nearly two years now. Um, like... It, it's, it's that wonderful thing. I don't know how you found your way into it, but it was kind of that thing of rediscovering something that we'd kind of slow, we kind of, we felt we'd maybe have grown out of when we were younger. Yeah. And, it, and it, what was quite nice was, of Sam and I um, was that it, it, all, it all happened at the same, our kind of return to ball games happened at the same time on, on his birthday where um, his partner's brother had given him his old copy of Catan. Yes. And oh my goodness! We had that. We had that kind of thing, which you get with many people when you introduce them to Catan. Um, and I haven't played Catan in ages, admittedly. Which is, you describe the game to them, and they just give you this look of, okay. When I think of board games, I think of you know the capitalism of Monopoly. I think of backstabbing Cluedo, who did it. This is trading sheep for wheat. And this is and... yeah. Somebody <laughs> saying, "I'll give you three sheep for one wheat," and you say, "Yeah, you're having a laugh. I'll do it for two clay." Or yeah and and like and i just and somehow i won the game and i don't know how i became like i some kind of stone master oh but anyway but anyway i because we'd we'd been massively interested in video games for a number of years a number of years and there was something about going switching from the digital to the analog that we quite liked and a lot of people we know are doing this there are lots of people in the video game community that are now um, tweeting and writing more yeah. and more about board games. And there's something very interesting about this kind of sense of return to the artisanal craft of gaming. But is it not and... a time thing? And this, and let me, ex- and, 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 and I kind of floated around in the video game circles for a while. I used to write kind of reviews. And what I was aware of that if you, if you want somebody to review a video game, if I said to you, right, okay, I have played Love Letter. How long have you played it? I've played Love Letter for three hours. What do you think of it? It's really, really good fun. I really liked it. It was very, very easy to pick it up. And I had a really good, you know, really, really good time. I loved the artwork. You'd be able, in three hours' time, you'd be able to give a really kind of decent review Mm. of something like Love Letter. If I said, okay, I've been playing, um, say, like, I don't know, Assassin's Creed Syndicate or something like that, um... And I said, oh, I've been playing that for three hours. People, and you said, I'm going to give you a review of the game. They would just like go, hmm. I think video games take an awful lot of more time commitment than a lot of people will let on before you can really, really say I have a a worth, a, not a worthwhile opinion, but a an opinion I can potentially defend, I guess. I can potentially kind of... Um, give evidence as to why I have this opinion on a particular game. Whereas a board game... I think you can play a you can have a board game, you can play a board game session two, three times, only take you six or seven hours and have a really, really strong opinion on what you like and what you don't like about it. And I think that's why video gamers are going, Oh, I can do this not as often as basically starting at eight o'clock at night and finishing at one or two o'clock in the morning. I think that's very attractive to a lot of people as a hobby. 
That's interesting because, like, uh, on the whole, I kind of agree. But I mean, there's also you could kind of invert that point of view by saying, okay, I can review a mobile game quite quickly. Yes. But then, you know, Twilight Imperium, for example, <laughs> yes. which Pete wants to play. This is the man. This is the. This is the man who, when we were driving on our trip to Snowden, um, before we'd even parked up, he was talking about us doing K2. We're completely <laughs> unaware of what K2 was um, and how it was slightly bigger than Mount Snowden. I think it was interesting on your show he was talking about HP Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, And again, I can feel myself spiralling down that bloody rabbit hole because <laughs> Sam and I have just... Our thing now we're doing together is Arkham Horror the Car Game. Yes. Um, so we've played the tutorial mission, the first mission of that. Um, we're going to um, do that again this Friday before our half marathon, which is perfect training for us. Of course, I mean you might as well um, run and run in fear if anything. Because I know, because I know Sam. Sam will be using the run to kind of stew over tactics for the next mission. Because he he doesn't like leave the game behind. No. He kind of takes it away with him. Whereas I'm quite. Blase, I will kind of just leave it behind. He was talking about that yeah. subdiffuse. Was it subdiffuse you guys were playing oh, on mobile app? Yeah. Oh, I just, I just didn't have the time to play that game. A great, a great sounding game. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's what you were talking about earlier. This idea, this theatricality. Yes. That the kind of the games that exist beyond the game itself, and the kind of the the, the backstabbing kind of conversations, the tactics, the kind of it's that social deduction kind of quality that board gamings can offer. You get that with a mobile platform, yeah, in which this these kind of this, this movement of a pixelated submarine from one base to another carries so much with it, so much time and effort has gone into that just kind of moment, um, and it's just exhilarating. But I was completely blasé to that because it was just <laughs> hit me in one of the busiest weeks in my job, and I would just get I'd be I'd be giving a lecture, and I get like a ping in my phone pocket, and I look down to look, you know, because I've got my phone there for the time, yeah, and it's just like. Up, you know the updates on subterfuge. Oh, Peter has just launched his sub in this direction. Exactly. Oh, I just Alex has just uh, invaded your city. What do you do, kind of thing? Well, Alex, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, thankfully, I, I was kind of off limit, limits. I was kind of like the Switzerland of the conflict. <laughs> um, so people kind of left me out of it. Um, but like, um, yeah, that, that those kind of things. And I think what that kind of lacks is what board games can give you when you've got those people in the room and you can have that face-to-face kind of those kind of take that moments those yeah. kind of games of chance when you roll the dice and you look and see everyone's faces yeah that reaction that's what i like about this kind of that's what i love about board games and um it's something that i think one of the reasons why people switch from video games and i i'm not saying i haven't left the video games behind me um i, I play video games as much um but Board games are, are more of an obsession for me. Um, I think one of the things is that the community of board gamers that I've encountered are less toxic than those I've encountered in video gaming. And like, um, and I don't know whether it is because there's that idea of people are more likely to be toxic online when they're hidden behind an ID and a screen and you know an internet connection. You don't know who they are. Uh, that they're yes. more, they feel more liable to kind of do that. Um, or whether there's something about the hobby that just, you know... Is it not something to do with acceptance? Because when you strip back a board game... Now, we have... Now, I'm going to mention a podcast called Mass Movieside UK, who every single episode they give us a shout-out because I'm good friends with um, with one of the presenters and the other presenter is, uh, is Trevor. Um 
And they have a joke that basically, you know, we, you know, they they question mine and Colin's ability to have any type of relationship with a lady because we play board games kind of thing. So every every week, week in, week out, they've now decided to do a special thing where what they do is the beginning of the episode, they will take a dice and they will roll. They've actually, somebody sent them a D20. So at the beginning of the episode, they Facebook live them rolling a dice and if it goes between 1 and 10, they say nice things about us. If it goes between 11 and 20, then they say less nice things about us. And But isn't board games about we both, everybody knows we're actually sitting around moving bits of cardboard around or generally living in a little bit of a make-believe world or pretending we're orcs or pretending we're rangers or pretending we're burglars and... People are kind of liking the kind of, look, we're all doing something similar and there's a little bit more camaraderie about it. No. It's interesting. I've, I've actually started using board games in my teaching. Mm. So I um, I give two lectures to my first years on play. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the ensuing tutorials where we discuss the topics in the lecture, I bring in a board game um, for us to play. And it's a small group, so I, uh, the first time round, I brought in something very light and easy, like Sura. Yeah, um, yeah. Eight players, yeah. very light. I mean, the rules, can, you don't even need to teach, you just need to look. Mm. And it's very intuitive. And we just kind of give the tutorial while we're doing it. And the second one we did through, we, uh, we played the Resistance, Avalon, um, which I like because of the Merlin card. And, and what, what became very interesting for them is that they suddenly realised that actually doing something that is a kind of a geeky kind of hobby. And we do have, we do attract geeks. We do have geeks. I mean, I have lots of conversations with my students about, you know, the stuff they, the watch, the geeky stuff that we watch and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. A, lot, a lot of them are like, oh my word, you watch this kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And, but there are, and, but there are some there that suddenly, they, it suddenly twigs them actually that this is no different to what we do. This is no different to what I'm studying. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is no different to being a play or doing any kind of performance because play is one of those things that is at the core of who we are as human beings and geez like in um some of the old greek tragedies it was all about different kinds of play um it would be about the kind of the organized play of rules you know in society and in the world and then the 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 kind of the capricious kind of play of the gods where everything was chance and the greeks love watching plays in which these kind of you know these two forms of play would kind of interact with each other and maybe the gods would win and maybe they wouldn't, and it was just this kind of interesting um, kind of way of depicting it. Um, and so we kind of we so there's there's this kind of acceptance there. You're absolutely right. And um, it's funny actually when I started um, uh, dating my girlfriend, like board games was the last thing I mentioned, which is really interesting. <laughs> it was like it's kind of like it's kind of like okay, you've is, known me long enough. Yeah. This it's about it's now I tell you yeah. and like. And I felt really stupid afterwards because she was like, "Yeah, cool." Yeah. I mean, my family, my family used to play games when we were kids growing up. We used to play cards and stuff. Yeah. And it, it's funny that, like, I think actually it, it's not so much. Sometimes I think, it, particularly, it's not just about board games. It's about geek culture in general. I think sometimes that actually we are so worried about what people may think of our hobbies that actually we are we are creating this kind of uh, almost impenetrable kind of. Um, fence around ourselves. I mean, there's, 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 I've walked into a few kind of what, what, uh, Sam calls sweaty boy shops. Oh, yeah. And it just seems quite impenetrable. The people there are kind of locked in this kind of, 
um, kind of game. You feel very much an outsider there, and it feels very. Uh, and there's this kind of equally to sometimes a sense of fear about anyone kind of saying anything about what it is they're doing. It, you kind of feel like you you walked into some kind of underground resistance base or something, exactly. some kind of haven. <laughs> And, 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 and like for me and Sam and Pete and Dan, we're kind of in the fringes of this. I'm not saying we're like, I mean, I'm not cool. I've never been cool. Um, I've never been down with the kids, you know. And, but I think it's about knowing that. And I think that like it's so, it's really, we're in this really interesting position at the moment where we're kind of caught in this hinterland betwixt and between the kind of the geek community, full on geek. Yeah. And, um, and kind of not geek, and it's re- it's really an, an interesting place to be. Really, it's the um, X Men, isn't it? It's the kind of the geek and proud kind of thing, isn't it? That's it. I'm yeah. kind of geek and proud, and I want to protect my other pure geeks, and I'm worried about kind of having lots of people enjoying my hobby because I don't want it to kind of be mainstream. I think if you look back to maybe when there was the duck. I guess was it you would call the days before the dark times, before the empire or something like, you know that. No, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is the days when board games kind of seemed to have disappeared and moved east to kind of Europe and Germany and, you know, that kind of thing. You got your Euro games kind of still surviving and kind of other board games. Dungeons and Dragons was still there. It was kind of going, kind of going along. And now all of a sudden, and it was like there's people that are saying, well, I hung around when it was, you know, I hung around and I went to Essen when it first began and types of things. And they want to kind of protect that identity. It's almost like we don't want it to become popular just in case having it popular kind of ruins it. I've heard people kind of talking about being worried that, you know, Asmodee, as they are going around as a big corporation taking over these smaller companies like say um you know plaid hat games who did dead of winter they're yeah. worried about them you know does that mean that the number of indie games is going to decrease because asmodee are going to say well we're not we're not going to give you the funding to run dead of winter the you know the wolves expansion pack because we don't think it's going to make enough money as opposed to plaid hat saying we'll tell you what we're going to release warring factions because two people having two boxes of Dead of Winter plus this expansion means they can go ahead and fight each other. So I think people are worried about that. People are worried about just anybody coming in and they, they kind of, it's still a little bit, maybe is it a safe space? Would you say that? Because, you, you know, if you're a geek and you go into a room and it's other geeks, you can mention kind of like a quote from Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings and people will get it and you'll be, you know, recognised and it's a nice bit of comfort and nobody's going to actively take, you know, they're not going to take the piss out of you. There's not, you're going to be playing somebody in, in X-Wing and there's going to be intimidation and it's going to be not, it's not going to be jokey intimidation. It's not like when I'm going to be on the bus at high school taking my Warhammer 40,000 miniatures to go to the club afterwards and the bu- bullies at school start calling me a kid because I'm playing with kind of little toys kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of strange kind of... That's I guess that's maybe why the bubble's there because they're worried about if they op- if they burst the bubble, what they're going to kind of let in. That was It's interesting. 
It, no, it's, that's that. I mean, gosh, I mean, that's the sound of like some kind of gigantic ethnographic study that we could start here, Richard, and we get the funding for it. No, <laughs> it's but it's a very valid point. And like, and one thing I've noticed that actually, when you're in the geek community, yes, there is that sense of safety, but I, I can't help at times feel that sometimes, and I don't know what's it kind of caught in this tension that you start to look around and you're trying to see how well, how geeky are you? Mm. Um, I uh, for Sam's thirtieth birthday, we took him to a convention. And I'd never been to a convention. I don't think Sam had either. And uh, Pete was there and Dan, um, again, yeah, he's, yeah, he's just messaged again. He loves Colin. Um, <laughs> we were around there and, um, and like, uh, I said, I'm sorry. Know, look, you, I did an entire episode. I know. Mr. I know. Frost, hey, I apologize. I'm just, I'm, I'm the peacemaker. I know exactly, Richard. I know exactly. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm absolutely fine. He's going to say no, him. isn't he? I'm not going to get the complete set. He's going to say no to coming on, isn't he? I don't know. I think he's what he's trying to build, Richard, is one of these things that Jimmy Kimmel has with Matt Damon. Um, I think that's what he's trying to go for. But um, I digress anyway. Um, so um, we went to this convention, and like um, we we um, I felt in, t- in places we kind of I kind of felt like we stuck out a bit. Like um, the amount of people cosplaying, for example, cosplay absolutely fascinates me as a um, performance studies kind of scholar. Um, I just, it, it, but that that to me is a different kind of geek to the one I am. Like, it's really interesting for me going to those places because I'm trying to define kind of what geek I am, and I, I I don't necessarily know that yet. So maybe I'm thinking about this too much. I don't know. But this kind of there are degrees of geekiness really, and I don't feel any kind of tension in that in the sense of kind of no, pecking order. No. It, but it, that's what I quite like. There's this kind of you can kind of walk into a convention dressed in normal clothes yeah. and normal bat and eyelid. You could equally walk in. Um, dressed as Ash from Pokemon, and nobody equally would bat an eye. Yeah. Um, I got. I, 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 you've heard that wonderful story of. Um, I heard this fantastic cosplay story the other day. It was a. It was a cosplay where a, ki- a little kid had gone dressed as Rogue One, and she was handing. She was seeing all the Princess Leia she could find, and she was handing them plans to the Death Star. <gasps> Really? Oh, isn't that lovely? Isn't that gorgeous? These kind of lovely kind of things. Where again, as you say, like when you're on a holiday in Spain, where you can walk up to somebody and say hello to them. I think that's because of you and who you are, and that's come, I think, in part from this hobby and this kind of this kind of culture of geeks. And and if, if I mean, can you imagine if geeks themselves existed as some kind of a nation? What that would be like, Mm. or as a world? In terms of that kind of, in terms of the politics in play with that, really, how that would function. I wouldn't. Because microcosmically. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the guy that doesn't say hello. Do you know what I mean? There are new people that come to the club that we go to. And I do kind of try and at least say hello and at least kind of see what they're doing. Because I wouldn't want to be. I would never ever want to be turning up at somewhere and not having somebody kind of say, alright, how you doing, what you playing, do you fancy kind of playing with us? I guess, you know, going back to, you said, well, how did you get into board, I guess, how did you get into board games? And the answer is quite simply that I was kind of looking at other hobbies, and I did kind of pick up, kind of, Pandemic was the first game I played, and then I decided to go along to Dwarf, because I was like, I kind of need a hobby, but I also don't need a kind of a running hobby or an exercise hobby or I needed a hobby where there was going to be other kind of people present with an ability to be able to potentially form kind of 
acquaintances or friendships with these people, which is why I kind of went down that route. So I kind of went in and I was pretty much, I was, I don't know, because of my, because of my job as a sales guy, I'm want not too fussed about sitting and, you know, introducing myself and saying hello and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of got into it. But I did find that once you kind of, you're right, there is a little, maybe a little bit of a tiny force field that you have to slowly push through. But once you're in the other side and you get accepted, you're accepted for kind of everything, which I think is a fabulous thing, a fabulous place to be in kind of thing. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think it's also about debunking these stereotypes because, like, one of the series I really don't like is The Big Bang Theory because of the way in which it depicts people of the kind of geek culture. And I'm not saying there aren't people out there that are like that, but they are very much characterized. It's a, obviously, it's a stereotype. It's there. These are stock characters. And it's about, and, and some would argue that Big Bang Theory and shows of that type have made geekiness cool, but there is this kind of, you know, there's these kind of jaded and kind of tried and tested kind of stereotypes of um, insecurities, uh, can't talk to um, um, your, your preferred gender. Yeah, unless you were drunk. Yeah, unless you're drunk. There was the kind of the obvious geeky guy getting the kind of the. The kind of the supposed hot girl. There was the geeky guy meeting a geeky girl, and then discovering they were okay. And then there was the guy that was oh, no. the lecherous guy meeting a girl who was again, you know, lovely and intelligent and everything like that. And she was good looking, but she was the intelligent, good looking one. And it was kind of I, I don't know. I really liked the first couple of seasons. Yes, bad. the first couple of seasons were quite strong, but it's become recently. It's just become. It's fallen into that tired kind of sitcom yeah. routine, really. And and the jokes are incredibly predictable. Yeah, and you need to kind of um, start. You know, it's almost a case of like, I reckon they would go down the line of killing off somebody. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, probably we the can. comic book guy Stu. We can. I reckon they would kill him off. Or he'll kill it all. Oh, he would off. kill all of them off. I just—it's uh, either or, isn't it? It looks like he's going to snap. It's kind of like, Stuart. oh, let's make you successful and popular by getting you involved in a kind of a a normal heterosexual relationship, and you're just like, but mm, what's okay? <laughs> but, but what's very interesting you say about Stuart? Because remember, to start off, Stuart was kind of a—he had a bit of a—he was a bit of a—I'm not saying he was a ladies' man. No. But like you know, I think he went on a date with one of the characters or something. Yeah. I was, you know, he he had a li- he was a little bit more assertive, a little bit more confident, and they've kind of diminished and diminished that confidence of each. Well, series. they had him He's losing his shop, of... didn't they? And they had his shop burning down, and then they had him kind of going to stay with what's his face, um, Guthrie Powell. Yeah, with Howard and Bernadette. Yeah, and then it, yeah, and they, yeah, and then he went on to become like kind of the care, the carer of Howard's mum, and then that's and that's it. when I checked yeah. out. I kind of like went. Oh gosh, no! It's 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 yeah, okay. it's it's quite awful. But like, it, but it's I find that very interesting. Like they went from this character that was you know a little bit more multifaceted, mm. and they've just kind of pushed into the back, and they've kind of like with all of them really, they're, they're quite two dimensional. Yeah, they've kind of yeah. When there was a lot of depth to them, and it was funny, and it was kind of in jokes that you kind of like went, oh, this is a program for me, and then I went, no, what you've done is you've taken a program that you thought was going to be for me, and then you've decided to say that the only way that I can be you know, you're going to say, well, I'm winning at life now because I'm going to be married. And it's just like, no, that's kind of, 
you're not kind of you're not doing anything for me now. You're kind of pushing me away if you're doing anything. You kind of doing anything at all. It gives me nothing to look forward to as the show goes on because I think well the next funny thing is going to be geeks have kids and then it's going to be oh do they dress them up as R2D2 or Princess Leia kind of thing and it's just like or little Yoda it's just like I'm kind of not really or or people from Star Trek you know they're going to have oh here's a little Borg baby isn't that really really funny ha 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 kind of thing which I don't know if it can be bothered yeah and and there's little moments where like they see um basically the female characters doing anything vaguely geeky and it makes them really happy and excited because it's like one of these rare things <laughs> you know uh, it's it's ridiculous oh uh, no and it's like oh yeah I, yeah women, you know women play board games too <laughs> uh, gosh almighty i mean like the video, the board game and it's probably the board game like the club you're part of the board game cafe near me there is no skew to any particular yeah. uh gender orientation at all so it it doesn't really do a good job shows like that no. showing how multifaceted it is but that's just one amongst many fantastic kind of geek outlets such as this wonderful podcast and fantastic youtube <laughs> show, channels that people yeah. have which kind of show it in all its glory yeah, kind of wonderful multifaceted. and the community thing. is fabulous i mean the community is fabulous by the fact of the people that we get on i mean we, me and colin talk about the show um because obviously colin is the guy that kind of drives it forward and everything, which Dan will be really pleased to know. Hi, Dan. Yeah, um, yeah. We talk about you couldn't, I couldn't rock up, and I've mentioned this before, I couldn't rock up to a company that maybe has a lot of video game influence and just ask them for an interview the same way I've rocked up to Jamie Stegmaier or John Gilmore or Chris Waddell recently, you know, and said, oh, do you want to come on the show? And they've just went, yeah, sure. It's just that kind of, we've been continually surprised by the number of people that have kind of said yes. Um, and we've had very few people that have kind of went, um, nah, it's okay, um, kind of thing, which is which is very, very good. Which is, you well, know... It's, I mean, it's fantastic, honestly. Like, I mean, just like, I, every time, because I'm obviously subscribed to your show, mm. I just look in it. It's just suddenly, it's like, oh my word, <laughs> an interview with this person. And it's just every you know week. I mean, it's just fantastic. Well, we've um, got. I mean, we've got a few. We've got a few things. Um, we've got a few things coming up um, in the next month. We've actually got. Um, I think James Hudson, who did the Grim Forest Kickstarter, um, yep, very successful Kickstarter. He's going to be coming on because I think he did a lot of interviews during the campaign, and he says, "Oh, I can come on anytime." I says, "Well, tell you what, why don't we just wait until the dust settles and we can have a chinwag." <laughs> You'll have a chin wag once you've had time to actually catch a breath. So he's going to be coming on. Mr. Um, Stephen Rhodes, he's coming back on. He's wrote some sub-quests and side-quests for The Witcher 3 season. So he was on a little while ago, and he's going to be coming back on. We're going to have a good old natter about everything to do with... Um, oh, fantastic. Blood Bowl and Games Workshop and everything like that. So he's coming back on, and he's also going to talk about some other potential video game writing projects that he's doing i i know how difficult it was to pin people down in the video game industry you always had to go find like a pr person who can ask well what's your figures how many downloads you getting what's your kind of audience who's your reach you know kind of thing and the board game community still seem to be well you count because if you've got a hundred listeners a thousand listeners 
if I get 10 people buying my game because of you folk listening in, then that's brilliant, I've got a result, which is always kind of very, very good. Is there anything you're kind of looking forward to, kind of going forward? Any games that you've kind of thought? I'll t- I tell you what I'm doing now. I, I've, I've set myself a little challenge that this year it's about moving into expansions for games I already own. All oh, right, okay. So there's a couple on the horizon that I'm interested in. One is the aforementioned uh, Burger Brothers Legacy. I don't know when that's coming. Um, it's just a rumor at the moment, so it might be quite some way off, even if it does happen. The other one is that um, Splendor is getting the expansion um, called Cities of Splendor. Oh, okay. And that's a, that's actually it's actually four expansions in one box that's coming, I think, in the fourth quarter of this year. Now um, that'll be interesting because so, that's another one of these games that everybody I know kind of raves about it, and it's a lovely little kind of buy a jewel to allow you to buy more jewels to allow you to buy bigger jewels, and it'd be yeah, interesting. It, it's ha- to see it taps it into, well, yeah, it taps into that kind of part of and uh, shut up and sit down and talk about this. It kind of taps into this kind of thing that's hardwired into us human beings that we just love our, to watch the stuff we we own grow. Mm-hmm. It, that kind of set collection, and you know, when you can pick up a card without actually having to give anything because you already have the jewels in your selection, that is, that never gets old. Yes, and it's such a, it's such <laughs> a, and it, it is basically just that mechanic, and it is just so lovely and relaxing kind of playing that game. Yeah. Um, but that's got an expansion coming up called Cities of Splendor. And, um, a, a favorite with my, my, uh, my family, um, whenever I go back, they ask to play it is, um, Jamaica. That's getting an expansion oh, right. as okay. well this year, which is kind of caught everyone off guard because that game came out, oh gosh, over 10 years it's ago. A, yeah. It, it's, it's not one of these that gets, has it not had a re, I don't know if it's had a reprint. By no, it had a reprint yeah. a couple of years. Well, not a reprint. Yeah. It had a reprint a couple of years ago, yeah. I think. Um, I, but they didn't really change much. No. Um, um, but um, yeah, that, that's got an expansion called The Crew, where basically in addition to uh, racing around the island of Jamaica as you do, and it's rolling dice, it's playing certain cards, it's hilarious, you may end up on the same place and you have to fight each other with cannon and st- plunder their <laughs> ship. Um, it's hilarious. They're introducing this thing where now you have the option of picking up crew members at certain kind of ports as you're going around the island. Yeah. And those ports, a bit like um, uh, one of the expansions for Cult Express, where you got a hostage and you can take them and you don't know they're going to be a good for you or bad for you until you pick them up. They're kind of emulating that, I think, in Jamaica. So those are the kind of things uh, I'm looking forward to, kind of expansions. I don't really have anything I want to buy on the horizon. I was tempted by an abstract game that came out... Um, uh, a few months ago, called Santorini. Oh yes, I've um, seen that. Yeah, and I know that's kind of like gold dust because they did a Kickstarter, and I don't know if it's been published. No, it's yeah, uh, it's one of those annoying things where I'll go into plenty of board games of shops, yeah. and I'll see <laughs> I'll see the tiny expansion for it, but the, the, the actual copy of it won't be no. anywhere. Um, it's um, basically um, for listeners who don't know, Santorini is essentially this lovely abstract game. It's beautiful, so obviously I'm going to be interested because it's so pretty. And basically, you've kind of got this um, ball that's raised in front of this grid. And you've got these, you basically move around the ball. You can only move, I think, one step at a time. And you can choose to build a structure. If you're on the floor, you build the base of that structure. Mm. If you're next to it, next to an already existing base, you can build the next bit. And the aim of the game is to end up on top of the third structure. But here's the kicker. If 
you can see someone about to get to the top of the third bit of the structure and you're stood next to it, you can put a little blue dome yeah, on top and that stops, stops them, doing, them that. doing that. And that's So you're building this lovely little tower. Because Santorini is this lovely uh, place uh, in uh, Greece, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it's it's known, it's iconic for these kind of, these white towers with these blue domes on the top. It's kind of Well, if you've ever, go, if you've ever gone to Greece, then basically the... Um, well, I went to Rhodes and I went to Rhodes a couple of times. And the things about the building in Rhodes is you'll have like a one-story building which is painted white because of the sun. And then sticking out the top of it, you'll have little kind of iron kind of wires, basically, that are potentially like about an inch thick. And the tour guide said that what they would do is when somebody in Greece or Rhodes kind of builds a house, their own house, what they'll do is rather than move house, they'll basically build an extension going up the way. So yeah. the, I think that's the whole point. You get you basically have these little kind of plastic, kind of um, little kind of plastic little buildings that are stackable. So you'll put one down, you'll put another one on top of it, you'll put a third one on top of it, and then as you said, if you get on the top, you've won, and that's the whole game. But you can stop people by putting the little blue marker. But as usual, there are cards. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but there's cards that you can play which have influence on the gameplay. That's it. God cards, yeah. I think they're called. These, and it's a bit because otherwise it, it's a it sounds a bit like a fellow that really classic yeah. game in which yeah. you kind of you can you can almost paint yourself into a corner. Yes. when You're trying to flip over these tiles. Yeah. It's that kind of good thing that abstract games do, where it's so easy to teach, and you can play it as light or as heavy as you wanted, depending on who you're playing it with. Yeah. As you, t- as you kind of start to strategize and kind of work things through. But these god powers add an extra element of replayability to it, which kind of mix up the game a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I've been tempted by it, but it looks almost too big, um, for what it is almost. And I don't know, I don't know where I sit with it really in that regard. It's one of the reasons that prevents me buying it because I'm not really, the last abstract game I bought was through my partner and she loves it. It's a game called The Duke. Yeah. Um, which um, I suppose the most recent version of it, a similar version to it, is probably Onitama. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Duke is great because it's great for those... If, you, if you've got somebody who likes chess and they've kind of got this kind of, I don't know, snobbish view of board games to go, well, chess is a pure game kind of thing, show them the Duke. <laughs> Sam introduces to me where basically you've got this board in front of you and you've got this wonderful, beautiful kind of thick wooden squares and you've kind of got the kind of the the light pine colored and you've got the the, um, the mahogany colored in one end and these beautiful varnish things and on each square on the top is the name of a title like duke you start off a duke and two footmen mm. and they're side by side and you have literally just three pieces on the board you and your opponent and on the top of this tile is a grid which tells you where that piece can move how far it can move whether it can just slide to that place or whether it can hop over something there or whether it can actually slide all the way to the end of the board and take whatever's there. But once you've moved it, you flip it over and it has an alternative movement for that piece. So it's so it kind of doubles up on chess. But what's great, you know when you're playing chess, and I, I haven't played chess in a long time, where you're thinking, okay, there's that little bit of extra thinking time, you're having to think, okay, blah, 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 and you have to kind of do that kind of Sherlock thing of mapping all the different yeah, grids and routes on the I board. Think, yeah. the, the, the Duke does that all for you, because everything's there in front of the grid. Your opponent can see the possible move, so can you. Yeah. And it's about backing them to a corner, literally in some cases, where they can't move any <laughs> other place. And it's, it's, it's so good, honestly. And that will take any kind of chess player who kind of turns their nose up at any other kind of board game, and it will convince them. 
to board, uh, to come to board game. And, and that's just, that's, that's the kind of abstract game that, um, and that, that, that just demonstrates how good an abstract game is, where literally, um, the theme is just enough there to kind of make it have a resonance with you. So for example, the long bowman, um, he can fire very far, but when you flip him over, it's the equivalent of him. And you know this, Richard, I'm sorry if I'm bringing up kind of, um, flashbacks to your war wound. <laughs> Um, he's kind of, he, he's, he's not got much of a reach when you flip him over because he's kind of almost uh, kind of, um, picking up another arrow to kind of extend his arm and hopefully not snap it out at 90 degrees and to kind of reel off the next arrow for when you flip it over again. And it, it's such a good little game, the Duke, and it's not really talked about that much. And it's so much better than Onitama. I think there's games, there's uh, a lot of games out there. I've seen them all a lot of the time in, say, um, Kickstarter. Like Santorini, you'll get a game which is like fantastic. And it'll get, it'll get kickstarted. It'll get published. It'll get not published. It'll get produced. It'll get kicked out the door, and you'll never ever be able to see a copy unless you're willing to pay like three figures. Um, and that's the thing. I can't read. It's like reading the stock market. I don't know. I can, I don't feel confident yet of knowing whether a game is going to be good or not. I, I I think I'm the only one. I don't. I think me and Dan in our group. Oh, he says hello to Colin by the way. Like he think we're the only ones that have. Um, haven't back to Kickstarter, like, and I know it's something you've talked extensively on your podcast. I, I'm always fascinated to hear just from people who um, are, you know, what, how they choose their Kickstarter campaigns, but also the people who are behind the scenes and are actually trying to gain, get a game Kickstarted. And like, it is almost like it's playing that game, that lottery. And I, I and and you're right, you're absolutely right. There are some games out there that that will just their popularity will come from nowhere, and they'll be gone. That's it. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, then uh, they'll be forced it's like that flash pan Yeah, of. like Gloomhaven. I mean, Gloomhaven is now back yes, exactly. with a vengeance, and hopefully everybody will get their copy, and Isaac will be hopefully have enough money if he wants to do another reprint. Because I still reckon there will be demand for that game. But then there was like, um, but then there's other. I mean, as I say, the games that we've covered. I guess it's interesting when I when you talk to somebody that's doing a Kickstarter. It's not enough. <clears throat> it's weird to say how do you judge if a Kickstarter is going to be good, and I think it come maybe it comes down to the amount of time somebody's maybe spent on something before they press the Kickstarter button. Sometimes, because even guys like say Frank West when he did City of Kings, and I've said this before, it's like how long you been doing this for then, Frank? He says, well, I've, you know. City of Kings has been sitting there for two years. I was like, shh. And then, you know, it's the people that you know have put a lot of work and time into it. How do you know if a Kickstarter's good? It's, I think nowadays you have almost as good an idea of if a game is going to be okay by the time you, when you see the campaign, because I think there's a massive push on kind of um, preview videos. I mean, Mike, Michael yeah. May from Two Can Play That Game, friend of the show, he's an all-round excellent chap who I think everybody Fantastic should... Fantastic bloke, He's yeah. a really, really, just a genuinely really, really nice guy. Um, he does these... He says, well, I do preview videos for Kickstarters now because um, I wasn't and I was doing them for free, but it's now an industry where people can come to me and say they want to have a paid video made of somebody just playing through their game and giving a rough opinion on it just to let people know how it kind of plays. And I think that's kind of raised, as we always say, it's kind of raised the bar. Um, 
would you go on based on something on popularity? It's hard to tell because I've never backed. I've never backed a zombie side game. I don't know if that's because the theme. I'm sh- I'm I'm sure that the game are abs- the game is absolutely fabulous, and there's there's a perfectly good reason why it's on. It's kind of like, you know, fifth or sixth or seventh different theme. Um, would I back it? I'm I I don't know. I'm not sure. Does it have enough kind of like different stuff? Um, on the other side of it, there's games like um, we're gonna have a chat with. Um, I'm just trying to think. We're gonna have um, there's a new there's a Kickstarter out called Ravage, um, which is about orcs going into a dungeon and basically fighting each other to get teeth. They're not going to get treasure. They're basically gonna go about a dungeon and um, you know attack other people. <laughs> basically attack other orcs <laughs> to pretty much kind of get teeth for each other, which is interesting. I'm just gonna um, I'm. I'm Ian Schofield, um, I'm going to be speaking to him um, this week. This thir- this uh, yeah, at some point this week, we're going to be talking about the Kickstarter, which is live just now. And one of the things that I thought, well, listen, I'm going to, I'm interested in, you know, what's interesting in having a chat about it was because his game premise wasn't dungeoneers go into a dungeon and beat up the orcs. It was the orcs are in the dungeon and they're going to. It was the theme of it, which was kind of interesting. It's interestingly enough, though, and I see this a lot in Kickstarters, is there seems to be a lot of guys that do their Kickstarter the second time round, and they seem to do it successfully. They're a little bit more savvy, I imagine, because yeah. as you've talked about in your previous shows, like uh, many people go into the Kickstarting thing without actually necessarily knowing actually how much of a double-edged sword it can yeah. be for yeah. them in terms of you know it may not work out and things but secondly it may be so incredibly popular because you are plugged into that thing called the internet which can hit every country except north korea you know around the world <laughs> and you will you think oh my word how am i gonna how i've got to i've got to suddenly ship to guatemala yeah and I hadn't, I didn't think I'd have a Guatemalan audience. No, exactly. Um, or as was it Peter um, said, he was talking about learning how to. He had to find out how to ship to Guam. I think he said for Guam. <laughs> he was talking about was it the presidents of the election of the general oh, election, right. election, American election, which actually is. Um, and it's not being, being um, an example of nepotism. Actually, it is an enjoyable card yeah. game. Sam and I played that uh, a few months ago. Actually, that is actually quite funny. And but we've not played it since because. Uh, you don't- <laughs> Real life politics is basically we can get it, uh, the equivalent yeah. of it. Um, you don't have to rewrite the but, cards. Um, <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, no. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've seen a lot of people the second time round on the Kickstarters now because the first time it maybe didn't go to plan, or you kind of it's intimidating to realise the amount of the amount of noise that you've got to generate in order to make a successful campaign. So you're not just doing kind of like the one podcast, you end up having to do five. You're not just, can, can't be content with just... I mean, Frank was saying he was running, he was replying to Twitter, he was replying to the Board Game Geek Forum, he was replying to the Kickstarter comments, he was replying to Facebook, he was replying to kind of direct emails he was getting... He was replying to messages through Kickstarter, and he says it was a full-time job. He says, because I reached the level of getting, I think he got over a quarter of a million, £280,000, I think he ended up with. He says, when you get to that level, 
it's a full time job. He actually had to take time off, I think, in order to be able to manage what was going to happen. He didn't think it was going to go like that, so it's absolutely kind of crazy. And that's the thing because a lot of people don't realise that for people who design board games, it isn't actually a full time no. job. It is their part time job. It is their hobby. They actually have a full work life often outside of that thing they do it's a labor of love and when it kind of takes over in a beautiful way yeah you know it's because you know there's so much love for that particular title they've created they suddenly have to work twice as hard and to balance the books as it were (laughs) i mean it's a world that i'm completely alien of i am still on the cusp i'm just in the doorway currently of the uh, Sweaty Boy Shop or um, Board Game <laughs> Just Cafe. Having, having a look, having um, a look and having I'm a sniff around. Starting to have, starting <laughs> to talk a little bit more confidently about board games on shelves that I haven't yet played, but I've seen the reviews yeah. of and the playthroughs of. I mean, I'm in that stage, real really. So a lot of my thoughts about the hobby still come from a kind of place of ignorance, but also a kind of a place of wonder. It's still this kind of, kind of magical, um, uh, unknown kind of territory for me to kind of explore really and I'm really enjoying exploring it really yeah I, um, I can't see it kind of dying down anytime soon I can't yeah. see it kind of going the same way maybe as uh, it's already got the kind of the indie developers kind of scene um, well I think yeah. I think until CEX has a kind of a board game section yeah. I think you know these, these, these are going to stay on my shelf I mean like uh, I, I let people borrow the games. I imagine at some point in the future I will give games to people. Yeah. Um, like, for example, Sam has given me his copy of Pandemic. He doesn't need it anymore. He's got Legacy. He's got the yeah. board and he needs to play yeah. Pandemic. Yeah. He'll play it on yeah. the Legacy board. Yeah. So you've kind of got this lovely kind of thing happening and I've, you know, he's lent me games that I've got here and I've lent games to different people and it's just that kind of lovely kind of thing that board games can do, yeah. um, really. Richard, did I ever tell you about the time <laughs> um, when I went on holiday to Cornwall no. when I was a child yeah. and uh, my father had got this house pretty much gratis, free, because it was it was kind of before Airbnb, a person he went he was working with, they were away on holiday and, and they said we can have their house for a week in Cornwall. So I said, oh great, never been to Cornwall before. So we drove down to Cornwall, we got there. And uh, the first thing we noticed was the, the, the kitchen floor, which was kind of sunk into the ground. It was completely flooded. Oh, my goodness. And we were just splashing around in this kitchen. And How um, old were you? I was about, I think I was about 13, 14, Oh, my goodness. And uh, so we had to fix that, lol. And then <laughs> after that, um, my mum nearly... Oh, she either did it, she she drowned one of the stick insects that they had. But they didn't tell us they had stick insects and she was oh, watering no. the plants. And uh, that was there. <laughs> they had these cats there. They had these cats there that were so covered in fleas, oh, that we were all covered goodness. in fleas, that we ended up spending most of the week sleeping in the car. Oh, my goodness. So we'd gone to this massive house, lovely house in Cornwall, but we'd end up, we, every night we'd have our dinner put the plates you know wash the plates yeah. up put them on the side then we all go in the car to go to oh sleep my goodness. in the car park on the drive outside um but the highlight of that holiday was, <laughs> was I, my brother 
Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the gorgeous weather. It wasn't you no, know, ice really cream nice. on the beach. Um, it was. We found my brother and I found a board game. The reason I mention it is it's probably not a board game that you are familiar with because nobody talks about it anymore. It's one of those wonderful things that you can kind of discover in a charity yeah, shop yeah. now. I mean, you, you can get it for like seventy quid online now. It's a game from nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Ignore the fact that it's got six point five on board okay, game. Okay. Okay. It's called Crossbows and Catapults. Oh my goodness! Oh, what really? Oh wow! Okay. That's so, um, such a good game. Um, so, um, oh, have you played it? Yeah, I played it years ago. Oh my it's gosh, you know, you're the only person. Because I was starting to think I'd made it up until no. I checked online. No, is it like that Shaq, that Shaq movie that people talk about that, about the basketball? Oh, Shazam. Shazam yeah. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> uh, do your listeners know about this? Where basically, uh, that somebody put up on a message board. <laughs> Talking about, oh, whatever happened to that Shazam yeah. film? I'm paraphrasing yeah. here. I'm getting it second hand. But people would kind of tune in and um, add to the message board saying, oh, yeah, I remember that film. It was great. And then you had one guy coming up saying, yeah, gosh, yeah, I, I worked in a video rental store for years. I had to rewind every tape. I saw Shazam like loads of yeah, times. Yeah, I remember And they that. were talking very confidently about this film. But the film didn't exist. Apparently not. And then people have like some kind of shared mental... Um, yeah. kind of not delusion, but they have such shared kind of memories, um, uh, memory building, which they've done before. Though they, they kind of did an ex- as like- a quick as they did an experiment where they they basically using a computer they took pictures of people when they were younger as kids and put them inside like a hot air balloon, and then they shown them a photograph of them inside a hot air balloon and said, "Do you remember that day?" And people were able to invent entire stories about the trip, about what they ate, what they were wearing, what the balloon was like, the fact that their dad was scared of going in the balloon, and this is the Shazam thing. But no, crossbows and catapults. I remember the the television thing, because there was like a... You had like a castle wall or something like that. That's it, yes. And then there was, so it's a big box yeah, game. Yeah, it was yeah. huge, and you had like little kind of almost like mechanisms along the bottom of the, either in the wall itself. And what it was is you had like a crossbow which would fire straight and it was all using kind of rubber rubber bands. Or you had a catapult that fired again, little rock. And I think the issue was with crossbows and catapults was it ended up being quite difficult to replace the rubber bands. So they ended up a lot in the charity shops. But you would fire projectiles at the walls and it would flip little switches and you would get like little trap doors opening up or you get things that's on it, springs yeah. and there was like a that's was it. there not like an ogre or something with a big club that you could knock down as well? I don't remember that I don't remember that basically yeah so essentially you've got these kind of chunky plastic bricks oh my that goodness. you can kind of build a wall out of so you build your defences so you know like Memoir 44 is just all cardboard yeah. and stuff this is actual chunky pieces and you've got you've got your you've kind of got your keep as you say with a catapult on it and you can find you can fire these kind of thick, chunky plastic discs from it. Um, you know, they've got pictures on them of projectiles. And you had what was lovely, and it was kind of a thing that you can kind of, uh, you kind of seen lots of war games since then, is where um, when you, certain projectiles, when you fire them, wherever you land, the, the, the image on it denotes a particular cardboard disc that you put around it, and that's the range. And if you're in that range, you're dead, yeah. kind of thing. It's almost like it was so explosive. But yeah, but the thing was. You know, people talk about, you know, dexterity games like um, Flick'em Up, for example, which Sam owns. Yeah. And, you know, oh. 
that that can be aggressive, but you know, you're flicking these wooden bits or plastic if you you know you want to buy the cheaper version, um, and that can hurt. Whereas because you've got the rubber band, depending on how you know powerful your rubber band is, depends on how far these projectiles go. And blah, we were chipping bits off my mum's porcelain because <laughs> we we ended up we were so obsessed with this game. We discovered this game in this family, oh and we did break we broke all their rubber bands because as you say, I mean, you're, you're pulling the thing back and you're launching it very far because obviously you want to make it as epic as possible. So me and my brother would stand sit as far away from each other as possible in the living room there, flinging these things back and forth at each other. And yeah, and and then you know the thin rubber bands wouldn't work, so we we'd ask our parents to get these kind of almost industrial strength kind of mini conveyor belts that you kind of spend ages kind of cranking up and doubling them up, so the tensile strength is even more powerful. And these things would just fly at each other, and then soldiers would fall down, and then you would uh, you know if you took down if you knocked down everyone's soldiers, if you hit the door of the keep, it would Explore. cause. Oh. It would cause the top platform of the keep to ping upwards and you would fly the soldier off or if you knocked down the turret with a guard on it. There was expansions, and, and Chris. There was expansions, a minotaur, I know, I'm a looking minotaur and a cyclops. So I wasn't wrong. It wasn't about no, being you weren't with a club. Um, I'm looking at it now and honestly, my parents have got it, but none of us, because we've all moved out, obviously, hmm. but none of us... None of us have had, there's certain games, because my parents are the really people I've got to say, um, thank you for getting me into games. They've got a chest full of them at home. They're massively into games. My dad, when he was in university, played diplomacy loads and stuff like that. And, um, so there are certain games there that none of us have each taken because it would kind of like, if my brother, for example, took crossbows and catapults, you know, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it's a lot. You're the youngest. That's fine. The palm would be thinking, you better not break that. <laughs> That's, that's our game, lads, you know. So I, it's kind of, there's this kind of unspoken truce. And do you know what? I think the next time I go there, I'll see him. I'll ask him if we can have a game. Because yeah. it is just, I mean, that is, I mean, we're talking about stereotypes. I mean, if you walked into, you know, a room and there's these two grown men just literally flinging projectiles at each other. Would you have <laughs> to brush your hair forward so you had a kind of like a bowl cut? Uh, that was my brother. My brother had the oh, bowl cut. Where basically, the, the hairdresser stuck a bowl on his head and <laughs> cut around it. I mean, I don't know what that was. That hairstyle. I remember once he, he hated. He, he was annoyed by it, so he tried to. He did that thing that some kids do when they try and cut their own hair, and um, it just came jagged. So he had to take it. They had to go back and they cut the fringe even shorter. He just would have ended up funny, looking like Friar Tuck. Oh. God. The funniest was that, like the tonsil. Well, he nearly did that. Did happen to him once because um, I used to work behind the pub bar, the pub I used in the village, and the washer up had broke his leg. And some reason it meant he couldn't wash dishes. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't know what he was doing to wash those dishes. What's he doing? Anyway, I got pressing my... them like wine grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, I got my brother a little job yeah. there part time, yeah. and he loved it because he meant he didn't have to talk to the public. Well, it's just got was good. But he meant to, yeah, but he had to go an hour early to set everything up and. I rock up an hour later and I was like, oh, so how's my brother getting on? How's Lars getting on? And they're like, oh yeah, he's had a haircut. What do you mean he's had a haircut? And basically he'd been working in the kitchen, like bending down to pick up plates and the sharp counter, he bent down, banged his head and it took a clump of hair off the top. It didn't cut him. It just cut the hair off the top. Um, So we had this kind of little bulb just from... uh, Doing washing up, which is fantastic. fantastic. Before I forget, you mentioned them. F- there's a flick 'em up. Um, flick 'em up. Dead of winter has been announced. Oh my word! <laughs> what? What a combination! Can you imagine? 
So check Facebook, it'll be all over that. It should be fantastic. Uh, I honestly thought that if anyone was going to do another one, it would either be Munchkin Dead of Winter or Castle Panic Dead of Winter or Carcassonne Dead no. of Winter. But Flick 'em Up Dead yes. of Winter. Yes, check it out. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Oh my God. Is this literally hot off the press? This Richard? is literally, I've seen it a couple of places and um, um, not name dropping, but the I do follow kind of John Gilmore wherever he may roam. And he roamed quite recently and said, oh, look, there's a flick him up. There's also a Dead of Winter comic coming out as well. Yes, I saw that. Which, was day, quite, which would be quite interesting to do. Um, if you had to take three board games with you in a zombie apocalypse situation, because we asked this question a couple of times, what three would you take? Well, I would take Burgle Brothers, definitely. Okay. That's got to go in. Okay. It's, uh, I would take... Any games at all, from past, present or future. Any ge- so ones I don't even own? Ones you don't even have. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, I would take, so Burger Brothers definitely. Yeah. I would take uh, Lord of the Rings Confrontation, because it's, it's the rarest game I own. Yeah. And if I needed to, I could sell it. Um, <laughs> For food. Actually, again, no, this is any game in the world, Richard. Why am I not picking the rarest game of all? Um, I know, I'd want to take... I love a hidden movement game, so I'd probably take either Fury of Dracula or Escape from the Aliens of Outer Space. And because uh, I really like Duncan, I'll take Escape from the Aliens of Outer Space Because it's fantastic. It's a great game, honestly. And it's it's less cumbersome than Escape from Dracula and shorter yeah. um, than a Fury of Dracula, sorry. So I'd take uh, Burger Brothers, um, Escape from the Aliens of Outer Space, and I would take... Um, Jamaica. There you go. Oh my word! Those 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 aren't very intense or heavy, are they? Really? Yeah, but they're good. They're quite yeah, light but games. they're good trading things. So you can always you can you can hit and run. You could have people taking big they're, box games, and then that could slow them down. But you want something that's a reasonable size that you can still run with from the shambles yeah. undead. Um, so. This has been. An awful lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it has, isn't it? I'm glad. I'm really glad. I was waiting for the final verdict. No, that's no, good. no. It's, yeah, a, that's no, good. No, it's a definite. It's a strong. <laughs> it's, I don't think we need Dan. Um, <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm going to cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or just make it the only thing you keep in. Yeah, exactly. Just have that. <laughs> and now we're episode with uh, Chris Darby from Staying In. It could be like. It could be just like me doing the kettle thing going. I mean, joking aside, Richard, he doesn't. He doesn't. He loves the show. He loves what you're doing. He just thinks it's funny, just to have. What um, making me cry at three bounce. o'clock in the morning and waking up and going sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, Richard, I'd love. I'd love at some point, like, for us to do some kind of road trip up to Scotland. So That'd be cool. Because I honestly, we love the show, but just I think it's also the kind of. It's not just the quality of the material you put out. It's just the. Um, it's just the warmth. And the kindness, really, of the We're Not Wizards group. It's, it's, and we just kind of want to bask in the warmth of that, the glow of that warmth, really, as if we're kind of joining you around the fire. There we go. Um, and we'd crack I know, open I, a. I know. We crack open, um, you know, we crack open something wonderful and, and amazing and uh, definitely not an 11 hour game. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you know what we could do? We could say, okay, Peter, we're going to play a game. But and then break out something else instead. 
completely different. I just think it, is any way, Richard, in which we could play something with you, where even if we, like that, we, even if we couldn't physically be in the same place as you, is there a way in which we could do that that isn't that age-old thing of chess, where like you send one move at a time to us and we make that move here, kind of thing? Is there any way in which we could? There is do a way that? to do it through Skype we, or something, or there is. Yeah, we'll I suppose. I'll we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, because we'll Jenny, I think that'd be really that'd be quite nice. And obviously, if we're in the, the area of Scotland, well, we're planning to do Ben Nevis at some point. We're we're trying to do. A mountain every year for my birthday because my birthday's in November, but we do we celebrate in the summer because obviously Cold, peak yeah. and he have the winter for his birthday. Yeah. Um, so uh, we we tried to, we were going to do Scarfer Pike last year, but the weather was rubbish, so we went bouncing on the ground in the cave. So we're going to try it again this year, but at some point Ben Nevis is on the cards to do because um, I mean Sam lived in Scotland for a few years. I love Scotland. My sister went to university there, and she loves it to pieces. So Scotland's. A, a gorgeous part of the world. Oh, yeah. It's basically the whales on steroids in terms of its landscape. <laughs> um, so, and I've, I've always wanted to do Ben Nevis. Um, I nearly did it once, but we ran out of time. Oh, you so well, you'll have to come and find me, but we need to know, and everyone else out there needs to know, where they can find you. My, you can find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at Digital Strider. Okay. You can find us. I'm uh, one of the contributors to Staying in Podcasts. You can find us from all your uh, local podcasting outlets, iTunes, Stitcher, we're everywhere. Uh, my colleague Peter Winton's doing a very good job of getting us on all outlets. Yes, he's doing um, a fantastic job. He's a fantastic He's doing a fantastic guy. job. Um, um, where you can find us at stayingin.podbean.com if you fancy just going on the website. Um, and I think uh, you can find us as well. Our Twitter handle, oh gosh, what is our Twitter handle? It's, I think it's at stayinginpod. Staying yeah, is our Twitter handle at But it'll be in, in the show notes. Because Brilliant. So you can just go to these wonderful show notes. And you're very detailed and thorough show notes. Well, I'll try right to because I do find yeah. that people sometimes click through. And I find that if I if I am listening to L Podcast and I see something that's interesting, there's nothing wonderful, nothing just as wonderful as being able to click on the show notes and see somebody on Twitter and follow them. And I think that's how I ended up speaking to Duncan Malloy. I think, because I think his, I think I clicked through on his Twitter handle on your show notes for his episode, and I think that's how we kind of got to talking. So, did he? There you go. I I met, I met Duncan. One of the one of the things that cemented my acquaintanceship with Duncan was we together, me, him, and Sam rescued a ram. (laughs) Um. Um, <laughs> you can find it on YouTube. I'll have to put it in the show notes. You'll have uh, to send me Duncan yeah. Malloy of Osprey Games. We're at the Stag Do, the Dan Stag Do, yeah. and um, we uh, we all went for a walk while the others, I think, were either hungover in the pub, and we came across this ram that had its head trapped in this oh gate, my goodness. and it was bucking frantically, and we noticed that it was in the it, the field backed onto this kind of big house. And we walked down there, and I mean, the bloke, the bloke who lived there, I mean, I think must have had some kind of power complex or ego because there was this giant kind of gold stag out on the lawn, oh like a statue, and there was like a union flag hoisted up the awesome. mast. Anyway, so we so we knocked on the door, and there was this bloke answered the door wearing no trousers, basically. <laughs> uh, we explained to him the situation there, you know, uh, there's a ram trapped in your gate, and whether he thought that was some kind of euphemism or whatever, but anyway, he wasn't interested. 
So we, uh, you know, a bit defeated by that. We thought, oh, no, we're going to do it ourselves. So we went into the field and uh, Peter bravely decided not to do it. He said he, he'll film it. <laughs> so, Thanks, Pete. So, um, so Duncan... Sam and I, we kind of waded through the mud up to this ram that was kind of frantically bouncing, and we, we, we kind of managed to extricate its head from this gate. Yeah. And we, what we really all collectively were thinking, we really wanted it to just run towards Pete, <laughs> but it didn't. It just kind that of shook its head and just kind of <clears throat> sauntered off, really. But, uh, but yeah, that's how I met Osprey Games' Duncan Malloy. Um, however, however the, um, revenge was sought because the, um, the ram's brother that owned a trampoline um, building. Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, do your listeners know? Have they seen that link? I try and publicise. I've actually used it in lecture. I've actually used it in lectures with my students. We've actually kind of dissected um, this this particular film clip as a piece of performance art. I just just because it's just so funny. Uh, like it's a great icebreaker. I think when I first one of the, th- one of the first things I did when I met my partner was I showed this video. It's it's a great it's way. It's amazing. a great social lubricant Um, it's one of the um, reasons that Vine should have never disappeared basically well what I did was I downloaded it so I I put it back, it's on my Twitter page listener, if you're bored of me and I don't blame you Go on, just go on my Twitter page and just look at the pinned tweet at the top it's basically my colleague my colleague Peter who I love dearly like a brother um, attempting to trampoline um, and failing spectacularly It's it's so good and it and it's it's the best kind of ten seconds you'll ever see in your life. But it's not because you um, end up watching it for three minutes. I I, I laugh for about half an hour, <laughs> constantly. Uh, and it's it, it's one of those things. You know how certain things that like you watch them repeatedly, the comedy starts to wane somewhat. Yeah. This doesn't. It just <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving. It is. It's just fantastic. It's like that Stuart Lee sketch where he talks about when he was driving through on his tour up to Edinburgh. I love Stuart Lee. He's probably my favourite comic. And um, there's a place called Shillbottle. Um, and the locals have changed the name a bit, the kids, to Shitbot. Just so, you know, a little flick of the paint suddenly turns Shillbottle into this kind of hilarious kind of thing. And uh, he would drive up to it and it'd say things like, okay, Shitbottle, 10 miles. You go, oh, I laugh. That's funny. That's funny. Shitbottle, five miles. I'm really laughing now, he says. I'm, it's absolutely hilarious. Shitbottle, two miles. Uh, funny, funny, funny. You're now entering shit bottle. You know, it's not getting that funny anymore. Yeah, twinned with Boutai de Mer. You know. So he's going through it. Welcome to shit bottle. Okay, he's starting to laugh again. You're now leaving shit bottle. And then he suddenly starts, the, the laughter kind of appears once again. This kind of cycles of laughter, really. Because, like, the attention to detail that somebody's gone to every sign to ensure that it's no consistent. What happens, you get the same experience, which is right. fantastic. Yeah. And this oh, has brilliant. been. A fantastic experience with you, Mr. Darby. I have enjoyed every single minute. Um, My pleasure. If you want to keep an eye on what we are doing, we are on the interwebs in various formats. You just have to search for We Are Not Wizards. We are on Twitter at We Are Not Wizards. Instagram is We Are Not Wizards. You find us on Facebook at We Are Not Wizards. You can find us on YouTube if you search for We Are Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. You can find us there. We're on iTunes. Um, we seem to have reached the giddy heights of number 148 in the charts at some point. I am going to keep bragging on about it until somebody says otherwise. Under the other games section, I'm taking that one to the grave, which I'm very happy about. If you want to help us on iTunes, though, 
if you leave us a review or leave us a like or just drop by and say hello with a lovely subscription. If you are going to leave us a review, um, don't give us a 10 because that'll make us feel big-headed. But again, don't give us a 1 because that'll give us, you know, give us tears in our eyes and make us cry. Something in the middle, like a 5, you know, average, because we like to think we're average. Um, but we've certainly not been average tonight. Um, there are a couple of things, as always, that we have to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Mr. Darby? Go on, then. <laughs> are you? All right. I'm I'm just checking. I'm checking. I mean, I'm 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 going through the BuzzFeed quizzes now. Am I a wizard? Am I a wizard? And still computing the data. Come on, don't let me down. I don't think I am. That's fantastic. I don't think That's I am. So good. I don't think that I've just so checked. No, I'm not a wizard. Stuff. Good stuff. I thought you were going to leave me hanging, and I was going to. No, I would never that'd do that to awful. you, Richard. That would be awful. And the um, <clears throat> the last thing to do is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from the wonderful. Um, Fantastic, Mr. Chris Darby. Uh, say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. There you go. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll those sixes. Check out the Staying In Pod. I know we've had Peter on and I've already said check out the Staying In Pod, but check out the Staying In Pod anyway because it just gets better and better. It's like having one cup of tea and then having your second cup of tea but realising that you got the tea bag this time really really right and the biscuits are just you've discovered that you've got custard creams as well as hodnobs but until the next time goodbye <laughs> <laughs>